Hey there, Jordan Peterson. This is Eniosh. <laughs> I forgot I chose that. Hey, Eniosh, this is Steven. <laughs> Steven, why are you Jordan Peterson today? I didn't know the names of like any, um, I don't know what you'd call them, incel internet icons. Okay. And uh, I figured this is the closest I could think of. I didn't want to like Google who's a popular incel. So, <laughs> Are there popular incels? Amongst incels, I'm sure there's, you know, like mm. whatever their, their versions of... They they have their own Yudkowskis, I'm sure, right? Isn't Jordan Peterson supposed to be a guy that helps guys to stop be incels, though? Like, I don't I don't know very much about him, but I think that's one of his deals. I think so. Yeah, I, I honestly, like I said, I couldn't think of one, which is okay. probably probably good that there isn't like one so famous. Although that's not a thing you want to be famous for. What about that douchebag that just got uh, put in prison for trafficking? I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, I can't remember his name right off, which is great because people right, shouldn't remember who he is. But uh, also, uh, I wasn't sure if he was an incel or not. So I figure oh, if you're I mean, running a sex trafficking ring, then you probably aren't. But uh, yeah. other people probably wish you were. Uh, <laughs> He's got the incel mentality. Oh, totally. Well, I will. The name will will have to. If it's not self explanatory yet, it will be uh, divulged as we get further through the the episode. So I'm guessing it's because he was surrounded by hot chicks, but didn't sleep with them. But I don't know. That feels weird. Uh, we'll, we'll find out when we get there. Um, Stephen, what what are we doing here? Oh yeah, what we're doing here is we are discussing uh, Elias Yudkowsky and Kelsey Piper's Glowfic. It makes sense, or <laughs> Project Lawful in our podcast. It makes sense if you understand decision theory. Hell yes, we are. You can help support us if you like this kind of thing. We have a Patreon going. Uh, we kick back fifteen percent to Eliezer and Kelsey. And uh, we should probably get going because we got like a whole bunch of feedback. I think this is some of the most feedback we've had in a while. Well, let's power through. Okay. Uh, the first thing isn't actually feedback. It is uh, a note that Keiko Lahayam is now producing weekly HTML files with the reading for that week. So it just it starts with the tag right after the last tag uh, of the previous week. And it has on a single HTML file everything for this week's reading and ends with the final tag. It's super handy. So that you're pinned in the Discord. I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, I guess I should probably make it like a Google Drive folder thing because so that way people can access it without joining the Discord if they don't want to. Yeah, we'll figure out a, a good middle option there. Okay, but Keiko Lahayam, thank you for that. That is awesome. And it is made... It's made this easier for me. I'm sure it'll make it easier for any people who are reading along. Um, also, Keiko Lahayam, I was told by Ask Who, that person who tells me every week where to stop reading, that Keiko is very, um, very active in the spoilers subreddit, trying to help decide where to stop reading, making arguments for when's a good point. So uh, mad shout outs to Keiko as well on that side. Man, y'all rock. Appreciate it. This is awesome. And I will Hell definitely yeah. use the, uh, the HTMLs just because uh, my... I don't know if I'm the only one with this problem on projectlawful.com, but mm-hmm. it always forgets my place and it, it always logs me out. So if I go to log back in, it takes me back to page one and you don't get to pick what page you're on. You get to hit next. And mm-hmm. as we get you know, to page 15, that's annoying. But when we get to page 130, that'd be completely untenable. Yeah. Just nexting all my, my whole way there. I think Wes had a similar issue. I'm not sure exactly what the issue was. It was kind of working for me, but I also have a plugin for uh, Google Chrome that just for all my tabs saves them at all times wherever they are so if I lose power or whatever I can just turn it back on and all my tabs are back I have this problem I have over 100 tabs open between my phone and my computer I have 63 on my Chrome on my phone and on my oh. on my work computer I tend to have three windows open with anywhere between half a dozen and 20 tabs each oh good so you do have the same problem yeah 
I don't know what I'm our problem is. Someone else who didn't. The, the problem is going to be like, I tell myself, oh, I'll read this one day. Yes. And it's, it's, cha- it's, it's tab four out of 63. And I'm like, I'm, I should just admit I'm never going to read it. <laughs> I've had to do that with a number of things, but it usually takes me a few months to finally admit I'm not going to get around to the thing. I think I'll just have to do like a, a proper sorting of like, let's get some proper bookmark architecture or like directory structure in my phone. Yeah. So I can be like, all right, this is the stuff I'm saving because it looks like it'll be fun to do sometime. You know, it's like it's also hard because in addition to being fun, like with the the base blast and the Bayesian conspiracy, anything that's interesting enough is potential content. And I'm like, oh, I can't just not read it. This could be really interesting to other rationalists, too. So just put a thing on your bookmark bar, you know, base blast to do's. And I I already have that. Well, then then start start throwing things in that folder. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) (laughs) But no, I feel you. This is not a problem I know how to solve. Well, I'll grab the next feedback here, which is uh, the Comexo Kid. Probably the Comexo Kid. I'm going to go with that. It's important to recognize how much of the Galarian world building is pre-existing to appreciate how clever, quote, the gods have to satisfy one another or one of them could release rag- Ragabug is, unquote. Like, as far as I know, that justification is invented by Kelsey, but the underlying facts it's justifying are all already set in stone. I guess what it's setting up there is that the world hangs in the balance, you know, this, uh, I'm going to just call it Ragnarok character can bust out and destroy everything except for, uh, this tentative agreement set by the, you know, between all the gods. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I love this sort of thing in, in fanfic in general, but especially fanfic of the more rationalist bent when people have to explain why something is in a story and it somehow just works perfectly with the fanfic that obviously this makes sense this this is what should have been in canon and it wasn't and we have an explanation and that's great i always love it yeah that's that's fantastic uh oscar the non-deterministic polymath had a great comment here uh transmute rock in skyrim has only found in one location abandoned iron a bandit iron mine the most plausible story is that one dude created the spell and started an illegal group mining and transmuting iron into gold Hmm. i love that shit and i think that's a very plausible explanation I don't remember the mine right off, but if it's that one very early in the game, like basically the first one you pass on your way to Riverdale, River Run, whatever, uh, that that mine also has a blind bandit that's easy to sneak past, and he's sitting at a table reading a book, and if you steal his book, it's just blank pages. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. There, there's some great little things like that in these games. That, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a good. They're all like uh, Fallout and uh, Elder Scrolls are great worlds just to like dig around in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have a comment from The One Butcher that uh, says, We skipped right over Asmodeus's and Abadar's deal. And that's a problem. Usually in these episodes, when you've read ahead, uh, usually in these episodes, when you've read ahead, say years ago, you can still follow along without rereading uh, because we summarize all the plot points. Apparently, we summarized a lot of plot points when we were reading um, Not Everything is a Clue as well. And uh, in, in general, these things at least touch on the plot points that are going by. Uh, and here we skipped three major ones. He says, the reason I'm so upset about this is that when I'm going to listen to all of this again in two years after the last episode of I Miss Yud, it will keep being jarring. I'm currently on episode 25 of my second go through Not Everything is a Clue, and it's cool how you don't have to read along. In fact, I re-listened to Shaping Exercises 101 and was delighted how you could just read or just listen to that and re-experience the book almost completely. So I guess we should make sure we hit at least all the major plot points that are going by, even if we don't really have much to say about them. That's fair. I think, uh, I feel where you're coming from. In my defense, a lot of this book is just exposition. Like what happens typically is these people are talking at each other. I find it hard to summarize 
what happened. Yeah, we should touch on that real quick. And also, I will edit this into that episode so that in the future, people re-listening will not have this problem. Abadar contacts Asmodeus and says, look, this there's this uh, squirrel that I'm interested in, but he's in your territory and you could totally squish him if you wanted to. And I don't want you to do that. So I want to uh, buy from you uh, avoidance of squishing this squirrel. The summary is like, don't fuck with this guy, please. In my defense, that was actually pretty hard to glean. It, it's not hard to glean, but you got to dig it out. And I don't necessarily know what's important when you're reading past it. Like, uh, Keltham has some ideas for science experiments in today's episode. I probably won't read them all because I don't know which ones turn out to be the big deal, right? Yeah. Um, well, in fairness, it is probably pretty important that the two major gods of this story, or what looked to be probably the two major gods of the story, just came to a deal about Keltham and how to not kill him. Don't torture him. Don't kill him. I want him free to talk about how awesome I, Abadar the God, am. This will probably cost me something. I'm willing to pay that. Fair enough. That does sound like it'll be important. Yeah. As soon as Asmodeus says, cool, I am willing to accept this deal, Abadar says, great. It's this mortal in this church at the World Wound. You can't miss him. And Asmodeus says, oh, okay, cool. That That is a weird looking squirrel. <laughs> then... The second plot point that we didn't touch on is immediately after this, Asmodeus gives a vision to a priest, I guess, which uh, gives the priest detailed instructions on what to do next with Keltham. And the thing that he is told to do next is, I don't know, we don't hear all of it, but at least one of those things is teleport him to this other city, this coastal city, and uh, put him up in this Archduke's castle. And so that is what they do. I thought we mentioned that part. We did talk about the teleportation. We'll try to improve. How's that? That's but right. I can't guarantee we'll we'll knock it out of the park every time because it's a little harder since neither of us have read ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this whole neither of us have read ahead thing, but you know what? We're doing it. It's part of the experiment. Yes. All right. We have a comment from Unentscheiden, which is directed basically at me. Well, <laughs> which is directed entirely at me. Let's not lie. To saying that my comment about why don't you just flirt with everyone all the time? That's great and everyone should do it, was really weird and they don't get it. Uh, Unenscheiden said, if you consider flirting to mean I want to spend more time with you and explore our relationship toward intimacy, then you probably shouldn't do it to someone you don't want to spend more time with. To which my reply was, I do want to spend more time and explore our relationship towards intimacy with pretty much every human on earth. So that is <laughs> that is my justification, <laughs> yes, behind why you should flirt with everyone all the time shamelessly. It's great. And uh, Anna points out that I think this may be the thing you don't have in common with Keltham when I was curious as to why the hell Keltham would say maybe I shouldn't flirt with her. I think that's fair. You know, I, I get where you're coming from because I know you. Um, yeah. And I think some of the language barrier and stuff between Keltham and the rest of the people plays a bit of a hand in that. So um, I also got a different comment from I don't remember who that said something along the lines of if you're flirting with someone and then later you turn out to not be that into them, then that's bad, I guess, because you led them on or something, which, again, in my point of view, is just completely not how I think the world should function, I guess. There's a lot of relationships that are just flirting relationships, and that's fine. I don't think that every single relationship you initiate with anyone has a goal of, I will procreate with this person, right? Unless, that, that unless would be you're horrible. <laughs> Maybe if you're Keltham. But even so, like that would be horrible. The vast majority of people that I am flir- having fun, flirty relations with, I do not want to end up raising children with them. And that feels like a throwback to... I don't know, a century or more ago where everything was inc- incredibly mononormative and 
the goal for any such relationship was always we will have kids, but like I don't want kids with anybody. The vast majority of people that I flirt with, even I don't really want much beyond that. I just want flirting, and it's okay at any time to be like, this is as far as the relationship goes. We don't have to move on to further things. This is this is the the part that I like. And you know, if other people it goes on to I don't know, touching or or cuddling or kissing or something, that's fine too. And if you don't want to progress on to sex from there, that's also okay. You know, there's lots of places relationships can be. I, I think that would be a better world if everybody was like that. I appreciate the uh, view from your hobby horse. That didn't, I didn't mean that sound derisive at all. Uh, like, because I think you're right. And this is something that you're passionate about. This is how you live your life. And I think basically you're right. I mean, you know, the, the only context in which it wouldn't work is if the other person didn't understand what your expectations were. But, you know, like right. almost all the time you're hanging out with people that you know and people who are enough in your uh, milieu that they will, I think they'll pick it up, pick up the right message. You know, it's interesting. My only thought on that too is like, remember back in the days when people go to work? Yes. There's that concept of like work husband and work wife. Yeah. Uh, which is like your workplace flirt buddy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a workplace, so I don't know. Uh, what this is like anymore, but I've heard the term. You know, it's kind of like that. Like they, I don't think in these contexts, at least not in the in the movies, whatever they expect it to do anything. It's just like, you know, that's the person you give extra compliments to or something. Um, yeah, yeah, people be funny. I guess I can kind of see like if someone is in that phase of their life when they are looking for somebody to have children with. I hear this is a very energy intensive process, and you might get upset if you assume you're in a society where any flirting is to see if we are on the track to have babies together. So that would suck. But I think that's just like a culture clash. And I would like the culture to be more along the lines of if you are that kind of person, you should say up front, hey, I'm not really interested in flirting if this doesn't have the potential to go to babies. I don't know. It's just it's so weird to me. I'm not sure what to what to do about it. Yeah, a lot of this can be uh, resolved with just frank conversation. Which, uh, you know, that would eliminate the need for every rom-com, but also it would make life <laughs> much smoother for everybody. So, yeah. you know, once you hit some level with uh, any sort of relationship, you're like, hey, look, where's this at? And that's not a weird question to ask. That sounds like a good world to live in. Yeah. All right. And final comment from Luna Warrior, who has a um, prediction, theory. Yes, Theory. There we go. Has a theory about what the what the uh, blocking off of the past is. Luna Warrior says, looking at history, there was an awful lot of true death in it. This is information about history that seems like something a population might try to protect from their kids. And Luna Warrior cites as evidence this line from Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality when Harry is first summoning his Patronus. And someday when the descendants of humanity have spread from star to star, they won't tell the children about the history of ancient earth until they're old enough to bear it. And when they learn, they'll weep to hear that such a thing as death had ever once existed. So this theory, according to Luna, would predict that people started getting frozen right around the time of history getting cut off to hide the scary truth from people. Yeah, so that the children wouldn't ever have to know that people used to have true death all the time and how horrific that was. Hasn't uh, Keltham mentioned true deaths, like even in the first chapter or first reading? He has about 100 people a year to get true death, but that's different from like all of humanity for all of existence true died. Yeah, I I like the idea, but I do think that if you're running around with 160 IQ, it doesn't take you uh, a lot of time to realize that uh, this technology hasn't been, been around forever. And if you're not, you know, preserved, you die the true death. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you would have to hide a lot to convince people that this stuff has been around since, you know, the dawn of humanity. If they yeah, know anything yeah. else about evolution and the history yeah. of the planet. 
So maybe if nothing else, maybe it's just a nice little bonus that kids don't have to find out about death until they're older and more emotionally able to handle it. Totally. But probably not the com- the ultimate reason for the, the blocking off of history. Yeah. But I do love the idea. Keep the theorizing up. Oh, and finally, we have one from you. Yeah. I meant to mention this last week and then I realized I didn't was that because he mentions the algorithm a few times. And I think that's just baseline for like the sequences or rationality in general, or maybe decision theory. I could see decision theory. I, I could even, well, because decision theory is kind of encompassed inside of capital R rationality. Yeah, that's why I think like rationality itself would be too big to be just called the algorithm. It's more than an algorithm, right? I'm not a scientist, but I think what an algorithm is, is just basically a process whereby you follow steps and at the end you get your desired output. Uh, yeah, I think rationality is more than just that. It's a whole school of, it's a philosophy almost. Yeah, and the output is smart decisions and a better life. But yeah, I think maybe decision theory maybe is the algorithm just because A, it's the name of the podcast and B, um, <laughs> you know, it's if we're going to go with like all of less wrong, there's lots of stuff on there that's just spitballing with low epistemic status and stuff like that, right? So yeah, yeah. If it's like, how do, I, how do I make the best decision here? I think that's the algorithm. Okay. Well, maybe this will make more sense once we understand decision theory. It probably will. Let us get into the work itself. Yes. So, Stephen, you started with the first tag. Yeah, it was the picture of uh, Carissa, like, clapping and looking adorable. Mm Because it says, wow, plumbing. And she casts Detect Magic to get a better look. And that sounds sarcastic, right? I mean, without context. But then you see her little clapping face. I'm like, oh, I get the value of these things. And it was just an adorable little picture. Probably my favorite so far. It's interesting because probably if there there weren't the face casts, there would be more in text uh, describing her her reaction so that it would be obvious it's not uh sarcasm but since the, we do have face casts you can just use that picture is worth multiple words thing to put her face there and you're like oh okay yeah it's not sarcastic at all she's actually excited yeah stoked uh no i can dig it um Calvin has a, a line here he says i'm going to mention once just to get out of my system that it looks like a civilization doesn't have the technology level necessary to build real bedrooms hmm. I, I think he meant bathrooms because they're looking at plumbing i like how he's just like constraining himself like okay Rather than say this every time, you know, I'm let down by your guys' society, I'm going to just say this to you right now. I don't think mm-hmm. you guys have the sufficient technology to do, like, real good stuff right now. I think he actually did mean bedrooms because he mentions just slightly later how fucked up it is that they fuck on beds. Oh, and the bed wasn't that comfortable. Yeah, and that he called it uh, sleeping pods. Sleeping so. pods. <laughs> like uh, the, so I- the, those Japanese hotels. I mean, probably much more advanced than that. Like when I think sleeping pods, if it was optimized to have a person sleeping in it rather than more of a general purpose uh, soft surface, it might might look different. It might like kind of cradle you and and uh, put put cozinesses wraps around you, something like that. Sounds adorable and relaxing to be swaddled, you know, like uh, in a in a pod to sleep at night. But yeah, you know, all right. Um, there, there, there are a few assumptions that he makes in this episode, too, that that threw me off. Mm. And maybe they're jokes. Maybe I missed, you know, I, there might be some whooshing going on. But he says, I'm starting to wonder if the energy to produce heat to smelt metal is actually going to be the sticking point or if hot water is even rarer. And I should be looking into the fossil fossil fuel scale before the metal, met, metallurgical scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the context of basically they're spitball. He's spitballing out loud to himself or I guess to Carissa, like, where do I start with my science? Mm-hmm. Uh, why does he think there'd be fossil fuels here? Maybe, maybe this is him realizing that he should think why he thinks fossil fuels are here. Well, I, I don't think he thinks that in the next sentence. Um, 
I maybe he did and I missed it. I don't think so. I think he probably he probably assumed when he landed that there were fossil fuels, and now he's like, uh, maybe I should look into fossil fuels. Okay. See, I thought if he was saying exist. like we should look at that instead of metallurgy, just because it might be a you know lower hanging fruit. Because like you know he would have learned at some point in history that like you know yes we had we were forced to you know burn stuff and ruin the air to uh, you know get our industri- industri- industry off the ground. Um, yeah, that's why he's saying I should be looking into the fossil fuel scale because maybe they don't even have fossil fuels yet. And, you know, that yet might be even at all, depending on how long this planet has been around, etc. Yeah, I guess I was thinking that he was initially thinking we can set the bar higher than that. We'll skip the whole fossil fuel thing. Uh, but he's like, wait a minute, maybe we'll oh. actually just aim lower because you guys need that level of an intervention right now. Yes, yes, that's right. I, so I assumed that he was saying, oh, my God, I might have to aim even lower. That, so I guess we just read that line differently. Well, I think we read that the same, but like then maybe he was looking for like their equivalent to fossil fuels. I just thought it was weird that he think that this place had dinosaurs or whatever that made fossil fuel fossils to make fossil fuels. Like you know, that, that seems like a huge assumption for a you know place with gods and magic. It does seem like one of those yeah assumptions that that is not necessarily justified, but that you would be excused in making in your first few hours on a new planet. Yeah, I'll give him a pass for that one. He makes some other assumptions that I think aren't excusable for just being your first few hours on the planet later on. So, Oh, okay, cool. I'm looking forward to getting to those. Yeah, I'm calling him out. Okay. All right. Uh, he does, he is at like the same time thinking that uh, you could maybe take, or uh, Carissa, when he's asking what you can do with elementals and heating things, Carissa says you could maybe take the steel to the elemental plane of fire if you had a plan to get it back once you've melted it, and that'd be two fifth level spells a day. And I was just really tickled how having this complete different base physics assumptions gives you so much cool stuff to work with. Like, who would who would have... Obviously, this is just a natural thought to Carissa. Like, yeah, I guess you could just take it to the elemental plane of fire. That's not something that would ever cross your mind if you came from Earth. You're like, what the fuck is an elemental plane of fire? How do you go there? I, I It was... I don't know. It was really cool, and there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, that's like... Uh they're it's hard, it's hard to think of an al- analogy because on earth we basically have the same sort of you know uh avenues for doing things right mm-hmm. but where hers is you know she she definitely zagged rather than zigged and mm-hmm. that's not even on his radar of like where to get heat right yeah yeah I, why like, don't I, I, I think of the elemental plane of fire of course <laughs> <laughs> go where heat is the basic unit of existence yeah Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then I, I, there's a number of things that have made me really like Dothalon. But dude, then he says, the thought occurs to Kelton for the first time that he may now have occasion to figure out where the sub-apartment's cuddle room is. And I, I saw that word and I almost freaked out because he just takes it as a given that all apartments must have cuddle rooms, obviously. And like, that means Dothalon just has cuddle rooms everywhere by default? And and we could have that world in theory. I don't want to live in this world anymore, Stephen. I want to live in a world where everyone just has cuddle rooms and this is a natural thing. Uh, you can have it both ways. You can you can make this world that world. That's true. I got to take over the world first. Will you join my religion? Uh, tell you what, get, get yourself some <laughs> followers first and I'll, uh, I'll think <laughs> okay. about it. Unless I can be like uh, an archduke or something. But definitely, I will make you archduke, Stephen. Sweet. I mean, at the very least, you can start small, you know. Uh, it's true. Does, could, does your have house have a cuddle house. room, Inyash? Well, I mean, no, but we are going to be putting another room in the basement, and it will double as a cuddle room, darn it. There you go. Awesome. You gotta start somewhere. Yeah. 
All right, cool. All but right. still, I much prefer a world where everyone has cuddle rooms and it's just a place you go to cuddle. I, I like it. Um, yeah. This is the this is the first point of divergence for me and his uh, assumptions, I think, feeling grounded for me. Okay. Uh, you know, it, I he gets like a whiff of, vert, of flirting from, from one person who, mm-hmm. for all he knows, is a spy. And yeah. now he's like worried he'll just be drowning in women before the night's over and he needs to find the cuddle room immediately. Like, okay, wait, I, what? How did you get that? I, I think I pulled that actually from a later note. And it may be uh, my reading of this just now was colored by like his reaction later uh, okay. to the spies in the library. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, it, it's just the whole amorous, the, the, the hordes of amorous females doesn't like, <laughs> it's a funny line, but it, it doesn't seem like it's set. It seems like a real problem for him and not like an internal joke. I, you know what? I don't know exactly what we're talking about, so we should wait until we get there. Yep. All right. Okay. But I thought, I don't know. I think it's a perfectly natural thought that, like, if you're in a society that has cuddle rooms and someone is showing kind of cuddly interest in you, you'd be like, oh, maybe I should figure out where the cuddle room is in case they, they, she wants to cuddle tonight. You're right. Like, I think, who doesn't I, want to cuddle? I think the cultural barrier, because, like, on Earth, that's not a reasonable assumption. Like it is, it is, in, it is in your it in your little awesome uh, niche of the world, but in in the world at large, yet it's not. Well, yeah, but I mean, haven't you met people before that you're like, this person is great. I would love to cuddle with them tonight. Uh, I suppose, but right, I so wouldn't. You... I wouldn't ask where their cuddle room is. Well, not on Earth, no. But what if it was <laughs> Dothalon where everyone had cuddle rooms? Then yeah, you know, why not? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, anyways, then right after that is when he asks, uh, when he's thinking, oh, my God, they have sex in their bedrooms. Why would you do that on your bed? <laughs> Which I thought was another great cultural divergence. And I really loved it because, I don't know, like, they have their past blocked off. So he doesn't know that for many millennia, people were just very fucking poor. And so they could afford one all-purpose soft surface <laughs> and they had to do all the soft things on it, you know? Back in my day, the soft surface was just a softer rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, he, he, you know, it, it makes for a very, I like the Dathalan thing, the history blocked off makes for a very autistic friendly society, you know, where things just get optimized because, duh, they should be because there's no chains of tradition or lock-in, uh, which is great, but also, you know, has sort of that, I, I hate to call it autistic na- naivety, but just it seems to make the problem of not knowing why things are the way they are worse. And I'm not sure that's, that's actually bad for their society, but it would be bad on earth. So I don't know. It was cool. No, it's legit. It's funny. I mean, to him, the idea is like, Oh, that's gross. Like someone has to sleep on the wet spot. Like that sucks in a world of, a vast, not surplus. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I mean, a world of wealth. It's almost like, why would you shower with cold water? That's insane. I think he understands the constraints on hot water, like needing energy, but like the idea of like, you know, your bed for that gross. It's mm-hmm. uh, he's like, you don't realize like, you know, we're poor. We had the one soft spot. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a follow-up note on this. Uh, after reading a bit further, I further, I got the impression that cuddle rooms are specifically for sex. And I guess they call them cuddle rooms instead of sex rooms or cause maybe both happens there. And I think that's cool and all because, you know, often cuddling does lead to sex, but I think I would like both sex-specific cuddle rooms and non-sex cuddle rooms so that people could go to places where they can cuddle freely without any possibility of sex resulting. 
in order to, you know, like cuddle Max, because otherwise there's going to be people who don't go to the cuddle room because they're like, yeah, I don't know, I might, I don't want to feel sex pressure possibly, and so they'll stay away. It's probably like an Ayla house party where like you put on a colored wristband for whatever mood you're in. Actually, probably is now that you've, now that you mentioned it. it. It seems like an easy way to get around the confusion. Yeah. I had a, a Chris, I got my, my only disapproving stare uh, that she's earned so far. Oh. When she tells the slave, like, bring dinner. Hmm. You know, the very least you can do is be like, you know, please and thank you, right? That's literally I mean, almost the least you can do other than just not hit them, right? Uh, well, I mean, sure, but do you have like an Alexa or a similar house <laughs> spying device? It, it's I've had to unwork the the impulse to say please and thank you to ChatGPT. Like, have you really? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, okay. Well, never mind then. Yeah, I, I I'm probably on the wrong side of that spectrum, uh, yeah. but. You know, I, I, I this is a thinking person. It's doing you a favor, you know. It is. I get I it, though. That's once it's, it's their that, culture. Yeah. I, I've never once said please to Alexa or while using ChatGPT. So that's really interesting. All right, cool. But like, it didn't even occur to me. Obviously, you wouldn't say please to to a slave. But okay, you're you're a better person than I am. Or just, uh, you know, I mean, I think I've probably thanked the toaster when toast pops out. Like, it's... <laughs> You know, maybe I just don't get enough social contact. But I mean, in your defense, the servant is an actual person as opposed to the toaster. Yeah, all there on the side of caution. Just be nice to everybody and everything. You find out that the toilet in the room is a marble bench with a small round hole in it with a pit beneath it. I would definitely poop in someone else's room and pee probably too. Hey, at least it has a pit. I guess there's that. It's not just a chamber pot. Could be a lot worse. No, you're right. It, it could be worse. Well, you pee into this bucket and you throw it out the window. All right. So there's this great scene where it's obvious that uh, the the two authors talk past each other a little bit, but it is fucking hilarious what happens. Keltham asks if there's some sort of sign that he'd see, be able to see where uh, it's okay to knock on the door and he won't be interrupting anything. And Carissa says, yes, there's a sign the military uses. And uh, Keltham says, okay, cool. No need to say what that is. It's surely the same symbol used by Tothalati military wizards. <laughs> and then Carissa says, if there's any symbol on the door, don't knock. Knock only if the door looks like a plank of wood devoid of symbols. And he says, acknowledged. I oh. First of all, I love their banter, but it was, it was kind of hilarious seeing like every now and then you, you accidentally misspeak and speak around each other. And uh, it, was, it was just played straight. It was played so straight, it, it went straight through me. I thought that he was being legit. And I'm like, okay, so he must be joking about the wizards, or it's like a translation issue because of the spell. But why would it be the same symbol? And now I get that he's he was giving her a hard time for not elaborating on what the symbol was. Because he's like, oh, yeah, no need to tell me. I'm sure it's the same one ours use. <laughs> yes. Now I get it. I think I need to read more humor into what he says. But the hard mm. part is it's not clear when he's being funny. I so, think it I think is I've, safe to assume he's basically always being borderline funny. I think I just need to get to know him better. Yeah, I assume that he is cut from the same kind of cloth as Harry Potter is, where there's always a little bit of fuckery going along around just to make life interesting and fun. I will read him with that in mind. I think that'll actually help a lot. Okay. Okay. That gets me further along. And that, okay. Yep. I'm already updating other beliefs on that. Oh, cool, cool. Excellent. He mentions that the clothes that he came here with are his only non-ideational property. I googled that. I don't think I got anything useful. Does GPT-4 know what that is since you said you pay for that now? I didn't ask it, but I'm assuming what he means is that uh, like ideation is like the imagined stage of 
uh, an invention or a product, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of his all of his current well or his current um, capital is held up in ideas in his head. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You are a smart gentleman. I will after this after the recording. I'll plug all this into like I think the ChatGPT would probably need the the context, and it could probably mm-hmm. tell me. Well, and now that we figured it out, I do believe the tokens aren't free, right? So you might not want to waste them. I just get, I think, 25 every three hours or something, but I'm not going to use it more tonight. So, oh, And it's okay. not tokens. I think it's actually just full queries, which I don't know how long my thing could be. It could be very, it's 25 messages every three hours. Neat. I, I just threw into chat GPT, or GPT-4, which is non-ideational mean. And it says it's not a term that's commonly used and might have a non-standard definition, but if you break it down... And it did non and ideational, and it got basically the right answer. Oh, cool. But it was kind of cool. It's a smart little program, man. Robots. Or, you know, a smart, giant internet mind is probably more accurate. Yeah. Well, this isn't the AI podcast yet, so maybe it will be, <laughs> maybe it will be by the time Kelpin's done at this place. I, seriously, I, I think I mentioned it once or twice in my notes. Yeah. Okay. Kelpham is uh, going to the library and he says what he's going to do is lots of random samplings from the book there accompanied by trying to infer back the world that the pages were written in. I'm not trying to acquire thorough knowledge of anything, just orient myself to this whole universe. And I liked that that is basically a parallel to what we're doing, where we aren't reading randomly, but we're basically getting random snippets that are thrown at us by the authors. And uh, we're trying to acquire knowledge of the universes they have come from by these random snippets, trying to infer it backwards, what sort of person would be uh, shocked that people fuck in a bed and uh, mm-hmm. and just assume that cuddle rooms are everywhere and what kind of society they came from. I'm going to go ahead and just assume that is actually the optimal strategy for like going through a new world's library um, mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, get me your elementary school history book. Right. Might be, might be where I would start, but yeah. that will only teach you like the basic elementary level history. If it's like, nah, I want to get a vibe for the whole place. So I'll take and his word on that. Also, it would take a long time to read an entire elementary school history book, and you wouldn't get all that much from it. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right. Which, But, you know, that's not a lot for us, but it's it's a lot. You need to corroborate, obviously, that particular factoid with, you know, more history books. But mm-hmm. it's starting from scratch. That sounds kind of valuable. Well, then again, you know, if you're trying to get your, your, foot, your foothold in 2023 America, grabbing a history book that started with like Mesopotamia probably wouldn't be that valuable. Yeah. Not if you're starting, not if you're trying to get your uh, sea legs as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So Keltham has done this at least once before in prior readings and does it, I think a couple times in this reading, just before he says something, he tells her basically what he's doing. In, in this particular case, what I pulled out is Keltham starts out a sentence with, I check explicitly and there's, then says basically a thing that we would all just sort of infer if we were in a conversation with someone, but he's checking to make sure that's right. Uh, I believe in this case, it was, uh, I check explicitly that I'm not going to uh, screw up so badly trying to find the library that it is an irrecoverable error. And that is why you're just letting me wander off on my own. Um, I'm not going to like lose an arm or die or something. And I got to say, I like, I think I like this custom of checking stuff and saying that you're doing so. And I mean, I guess it fails on vibing because then you're making it explicit that we definitely do not have a vibe happening here. But, you know, they just met. And I think it's fine to not be vibing yet. And the sort of rapid cycling, testing, adjusting is a it's kind of a vibe all on its own, you know? Yeah, I certainly at least like the. I, I would support the custom of like 
having it not be a weird thing for someone to do that. Um, yeah. Not like feeling like you should do it all the time just because that seems like a total time suck. Um, yeah. But it, it is the kind of thing that Harry would ask. Like, all right, look, I'll go run this errand for you. But like, it's not, there's not some, you know, monkey paw side effects where I'm going to end up, you know, paralyzed after or something, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of funny. He's just like, hey, look, just to just to be sure, like, I'm not going to fuck myself over. There's no obvious trap I'm going to fall into, right? It's just kind mm-hmm, of funny. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like how he says, I check explicitly. <laughs> yes. So uh, he is told that, yeah, you can get to the library. Nothing bad is going to happen. So he goes to the library. And when he arrives, it is full of teenage girls sitting three to an overstuffed chair and giggling. Which brought to my mind George Takei going, oh my. <laughs> but then immediately we're told that uh, he processes teenage girls as extremely normal inhabitants of libraries. Which is just, god damn it, why is Eliezer making me love Dathalon so much? This might, how, how is this place so awesome? This might be more uh, sarcasm or like, you know, whatever Harry Potter style humor. However, it's probably not that unusual on Dathalon. Like, despite, you know, the picture of Keltham being this like really boring looking dude and not at all like a, you know, a Hemsworth. Um, hmm. I'm assuming that in addition to being bred for smarts, they're also bred to look nice. And so all the girls in libraries look pretty, right? Oh, well, I mean, sure. In libraries, yeah. we happen in spots because they're all a bunch of nerds who want to learn all this stuff. <laughs> and let's let's not um, undersell Keltham here. He uh, may not be a Chris Helmsworth, but he is a literal Hollywood actor. So he, he, he is not bad looking by any means. I mean, uh, there's lots of Hollywood actors who are the kind of people that, you know, I'm, I'm not one to judge, judge looks whatsoever. I'm just saying that uh, <laughs> I don't particularly like the guy's facial expressions in all the little pictures. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, I'm rolling that into my perception of him, but okay. well, I mean, like into my saying that he's not attractive. He, he, you know, he's he's a perfectly reasonable looking person. It's just like looking at the same three pictures of him all the time with mouth partially ajar and stuff. It's just like it's not it's not landing <laughs> for me. Ex- looking extremely confused, right? But it's like you people do what? Yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway, yeah. He's not he's not bad looking at any rate. Y- yeah. Okay. Uh, so he, it says in the, in the parentheses that Keltham rolls against his said, which I'm assuming is short for seduction to notice the attention of all the uh, pretty girls and he fails. And I'm, I don't know. I this must be a joke, but even as a joke, I really think it should have been against perception, right? Rather than against seduction because it's perception to notice the attention and then seduction to, to realize that it's, uh, them trying to flirt with him. Yes. I agree with you on both counts. And okay. I'm also confused if like this is a thing he thought to himself and he just like is thinking D&D rules to himself as a joke. Because no. well, yeah, exactly. It sounds like a real thing. But if that's the case, did this like, quote unquote, actually happen? Um, like, is this like an actual game mechanic that just happened in the background without him noticing or? <sighs> it's in parentheses. So actually, now that you mention it, maybe what we need to have happen is for him to get into a fist fight. Yes. And see if it's turn-based combat where he can only, you know, punch the person every six seconds. I think we have proof later on that there is turn-based combat. Yeah. Well, so we have, as we'll, we'll get there when we get there because it's uh, in one of the textbooks that he grabs. Uh, but, yeah. I, but I had a comment on that. So okay. uh, we'll, we'll have to, we'll, we'll look at it, make predictions and uh, find evidence later. So I had assumed when first reading this that it was entirely just a joke uh, as sometimes geeks make. But... Because I have joked about my awful spot score many, many times. But um, Wait, spot spot your ability to notice things like perception. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in uh, fourth edition D&D, I think that's what they called it. It was the spot score spot. or spot skill. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he's in an actual D&D world. So maybe this is just literally telling us a mechanic that happened in the background. Huh. You can't rule it out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, uh, yeah, we'll have to find out or we'll have to keep our eyes open. Let's do that. Um, it's a very biased library. Yes. Very biased library. Uh, Kelton thinks that you shouldn't be able to understand current reality without knowing who had what utility function. And there's nothing about utility functions and really nothing about any gods other than Asmodeus. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to find out pretty soon that that's a feature, not a bug. But <laughs> I think we actually, <laughs> we do actually find that out. So maybe I should just cut this out because it was not a. Uh, no, I mean, it, it's going to be a shock for him. The idea that like, wait, why wouldn't they have other information in here? And the idea of heresy or wrong think is not a thing that I think he's ever, he, he may have heard about it like mm-hmm. in a theory, in a, in a theory textbook or something, mm-hmm. but there's no way that's the least bit, you know, of a norm anywhere on doth, doth Elan, right? Yeah. When, when he's shocked that a salesman might not be completely honest, then yeah, there's no way heresy is a, is a thing that goes to into his mind. Wait, you're, you guys torch people for thinking the wrong things or even entertaining thoughts about subjects that you don't like? This place is more dire, you know, trouble than I thought. I really need to become a god and take it over quickly. Yeah, this is, you know, and no matter how heretical that that utterance is. Yeah. So as he's reading, he finds out that Shellin, the goddess of art, love, and beauty, once had a brother, but his utility function was inverted, and he became a god of torture, which was my first, like, big stop and be like, okay, I thought the gods were metaphors for AIs, but I think the gods might actually be literally very much just straight up like AIs in this world if they have utility functions that can be inverted. Uh, am I am I just pulling, talking crazy talk here? I mean, uh, depends on how broadly you define AIs and gods. There's definitely, you know, an overlapping Venn diagram, I think. Like, I think utility function inverted, you know, it's hard to say how much of that was like translated into his kind of thoughts and how much that was like in the book. Mm. Um, but like the idea of yeah, they, this this person was whatever. Uh, I'm assuming like her, like the like the sister, you know, a god of art, love, and beauty. Um, and then you know he was cursed and tortured, and now his now he now he just super values the opposite of all those things. Um, yeah, that seems like a thing that can happen. You know. All right. So looking back, I, I just found that line. It is not written by, it is not uh, said by Keltham. It's just said by the diamond that represents, I don't know, narrative in general. And it's not written by Eliezer. It's written by Kelsey. Uh, so it sounds like this is just straight up narration. Sheldon now once had a brother, then his utility function was inverted. Like, I assume it's in the in the text of the book. But I mean, you don't have to be a robot to have a utility function, right? Maybe, you know, like you and I have them, but they're just, you know, not really scrutable to us as meat-filled humans, but maybe gods are more transparent to themselves. Yeah, but I think if you're a thing that has a utility function that can just be inverted, you're a different sort of being than a human. Yeah, you're a god. We- <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not being flippant yeah. either. I mean, you know, the gods are, they, there's probably some really fucked up magic they can do at each other. But like humans are adaptation executors built by evolution, and I think gods are they are somehow utility function executors instead, which would make them very different and which could make them just, you know, have a inverted utility function. Unlike us, I guess I'm just thinking like, this isn't the sort of thing I would rule out of like, you know, happening in Greek mythology either. I would absolutely rule it out of happening in Greek mythology. Like they could become evil. 
or, or, you know, turn around and become the opposite of themselves. But like the term utility function was inverted. I don't think is a th- thing you could apply to Greek gods because they're just humans. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I, I'm trying to figure out like where, where Maybe this would I'm actually pay too much into those words specifically. Maybe, but I mean, where would this actually pay off in a, in a, if there was a difference of interpretation here, like basically what the gods actually are and how to interact with them? Well, just the idea that you can put a negative sign in front of something and the god flips around that, is is kind of a big deal. That is kind of a big deal when you when you put it that way. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it sure sounds serious. Well, we'll keep our eyes open. All right. This evil god goes around torturing, doing bad things. Abadar decides he must be punished, so he makes a bargain with the evil god, and the evil god des- agrees to go into exile on the plane of shadow for as long as the sun hung in the sky. In, an ex- in exchange for an item of his choosing from the first vault. This was, again, one of those I have to stop and think about this for a moment situations because, like, that's not how I think of punishment. I think of punishment as something that is imposed on you and you don't get anything in return. You just get a punishment. You don't agree to it in exchange for mm. for a present. That's just, you know, trade. <laughs> I guess there's, <laughs> there's a bonus for coming for going quietly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose, yeah, there, there is. You get lighter sentence if you come, if you confess, and if you come in and uh, and uh, give yourself up. But I, I had to think about that for a bit, and realizing that uh, this this entire book, uh, I know this is kind of future knowledge, uh, but realizing that this book is about decision theory, I was thinking perhaps if there's two transparent agents like similar to AIs that can see each other code and see each other's uh, decision-making algorithms. If one can see that the other is willing to pay huge costs, burn a lot of resources that uh, of their own that they're willing to destroy in order to go after you and impose some sort of punishment, then, uh, and you know that they will do that, then maybe you'd be like, oh, okay, you know what? How about I take this punishment you want to mete out, and instead of burning all those resources coming after me, you instead burn a fraction of those resources and give me something that I want. That could that could work if, like, you know by looking that they will burn those resources coming after you. Kind of like you know, you could imagine a rock rolling down a hill. I'm glad you gave it like the time to think about it, like because that's that's an awesome conclusion, and it, it's definitely like probably where that was going. I read it as just like, oh, here's like a fun you know, random, like to me, I guess I'm not spending a lot of time trying to uh, comprehend the gods and how they work, but I suppose I should be. Um, (laughs) I I guess my my thinking is like, they're weird. You know, they are to us as we are to squirrels. You know, the squirrel cannot comprehend me. I cannot comprehend the gods. Um, However, you know, that just sounds like quitter talk. Um, Exactly. So no, I I like where you had that. And I think you're right. And that is, that is a, um, it's, it's born out kind of in how, uh, as Modeus and Abaddon made their bargain, right? Yeah. And it's like, look, here are the terms. Okay, I accept. Then there was some like monkey, you know, again, I like the the term monkey paw, which I think is, uh, it's Googleable, but it, it's the, you know, oh, here's the secret fuck you, right? Um, mm-hmm. The secret fuck you is that, yeah, I'll stay, you know, on the plane of shadow for as long as the sun is in the sky. But then guess what? It wasn't there that long. And no doubt <laughs> yeah. that this bad God knew that, right? Probably. Or did something to make it happen, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly what I would do. Yeah, of course, I'll stay until, you know, as long as the sun's in the sky, but I know there's an eclipse coming next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
normally I think I would agree with you that I wouldn't spend this much time, but I come into this with the knowledge that it is Eliezer and Kelsey working together to try to make us understand decision theory. So I am uh, proactively trying to dis- understand the decision theory they're going to try to make me try to understand. I appreciate that you're you're doing that. Every time we talk about this, it reenthuses me for the story. Like I, I, I ran out of steam on it pretty fast this week too. But your enthusiasm is, is contagious. And, uh, you know, you're right. This has a point. This isn't just random exposition dumps. Mm-hmm. This is all going somewhere. And it's going to go somewhere awesome. So uh, I need to be more on the... I, need, I just need to keep my energy levels up reading this. So I know last week when I was reading, I was kind of tired during the second half of the reading. And I think that impacted me a bit. I'm trying to do better on timing when I read it as well now. I definitely need to do that too. Mm-hmm. Moving on. This is, he's ripping oh. apart the history book. Keltham's wondering, how would the historian know what somebody was thinking? At best, you get somebody else's autobiographical account of what they claimed they were thinking. This isn't reasoning. This is ink somebody spilled on a page, and it happened to come out (laughs) looking like words, and everybody was so amazed that the coincidence they decided to reprint it. (laughs) That's great. It's a a solid line. Because, I mean, this is exactly how every book is written. You know, I read, it was either Ben Franklin's autobiography or his biography once, like in elementary school. Because it was so it was mm-hmm. written, you know, for the level of an eleven-year-old to under, you know, to not have a hard time reading it. Whoever was reporting on like why, you know, he was showing off the money he made or whatever, and his motivations. Whoever was reporting that, whether it was him or somebody else, they were just guessing or flattering themselves yeah. or something, right? Uh huh. It's funny that like then I can take that away as fact. It's like, oh, I know what he was thinking when he did this. And it's like I sure as fuck don't. Um, <laughs> exactly. I know what this person said. Uh huh. And it's it's kind of funny when you take an outside view of, you know, basically all of our, uh, nonfiction books, mm-hmm. what they look like. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess so. Um, we look put, like a bunch of fucking idiots when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the way he puts it, there's no numbers on this page. There's no distinct premises and conclusions anywhere on this page. This page contains more fallacies than it contains distinct words. <laughs> this is, uh, Again, Harry discovering how high they teach math at Hogwarts, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it was great. We find out a little bit more information. When Dathalon ran into the past info hazard, they went to a lot of trouble to mothball all the old cities. What? They just mothballed cities? You know how much infrastructure that is? Holy shit, something awful had to have happened. If I squint, this is compatible with Luna's guess about hiding death from people. Oh, we can't How? let we can't let them find cemeteries, you know, oh, or okay, uh, yeah. you know, even gravestones or stuff like that, right? Um, yeah, maybe even churches. However, mm. I it, it's more fun to think that it's some sort of calamity, right? And because Keltham is aware of the info hazard that true death can happen, it it seems like it's got to be bigger than that, it, especially just because, like, you know, a century ago. I don't know. It, it Don't get me wrong. I love the idea. It could be something like that, but I, I think it was something huge. Um, yeah. And by the time Keltham reaches anything about Zon Kuthan, I think he was the dark, uh, that, that evil God or whatever that got his utility yeah. function switched. Uh, he catches a glimpse of an info hazard, info hazardous page winces and just shuts the book. Yeah. We get no elaboration, right? What the hell? I, I don't know. I mean, we, that's fun. I, the, if it turns out it that it was fun. death, but you no, know, they talked about death, that, you know, in the yeah. stuff that he covered with us. So it's something serious. Yeah. Super excited. And it's and it's something that Keltham thinks is an info hazard, but well, no, maybe their society also thinks it's an info hazard. This is the Archduke's private library. He might have info hazards that he is okay with. And if he assumes other people aren't going to be going through his library often. 
Yeah. I mean, an info hazard to the Archduke might be like, whatever, this other god's pretty nice. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, their info hazards much, might just be different. Yeah, I think it's a much lower bar. And even if they did overlap, it's not clear that Keltham would like close the book because of an arch, you know, the Archduke's info hazard in this book. He wouldn't even be able to guess what it was. Right. It's definitely something that he thinks is an info hazard. Yeah, Keltham came across this. He's like, oof, can't have that in my brain, which is interesting yeah. because that that borders. So because I know it's not going to be, you know, like wrong think or heresy, it makes me really curious what sort of thoughts he doesn't want to allowed in his head. Yeah. Uh I'm hoping that we get some explanation. I wonder if it's related to the past info hazard. It could be. I was going to say it could be like information on dangerous stuff, but like he's already sitting there thinking about making giant explosions and shit. It's not dangerous, right? Or it's not, it's not that I mean, kind of dangerous. I mean, it's kind of dangerous. No, I mean, the info hazard definitely is. No, I mean, the explosions are super dangerous. So if he's, yeah, yeah. If he's not shying away from thinking about that, he's not going to shy away from oh, right. some, some book that describes how to make pipe bombs or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be something a lot worse. Yeah. Makes me curious what it could be. Me too. All right, well, we find out that governance, as Keltham knows it, does not exist on this planet. Prediction markets do not exist. There's no obvious preference al- preference aggregation mechanisms, which means that Dothalon uh, has prediction markets in its governance. That's pretty fucking cool. Of course it does. <laughs> I, I, how could I have ever doubted? I mean, it's it's the. I guess, you know, I didn't like explicitly have that thought first, but if you had asked me, you know... All right, Steven, do you think prediction markets are involved in, like, the governing of Dothalon? I'd be like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. How would it not be? Right? Ludicrous to even have to ask. It's it's the most sensible way to run government anywhere. And I'm endorsing it so enthusiastically, I might sound sarcastic, but I'm not. Right. Yeah. You you literally think this. Yeah. You you have that uh, that picture of a uh, smiling, enthusiastic Steven right next to you right now. That's right. As your face cast. Yes. So, uh, but talking about governance, he is... uh, he is surprised that factions here have sharp territorial boundaries. And there's a thing where you kill the person at the top of the faction <laughs> and the people inside the faction all switch sides to the other faction that killed them. Uh, first of all, he's surprised by the sharp territorial boundaries, which implies there's no borders on Dothalon. Or which, that, you know, the, the territories aren't uh, bounded that way, right? Like, sure, there's an ocean, but, you know, who cares who's on which side of it? Right, yeah. I, I think that's that feels weird if we have the same level of tech as current humanity does. I think territorial boundary is different than, oh, I see. Yeah. So territory could mean, you know, the Northwest territories, or it could mean this is my territory. That's your territory. Stay off my land. Uh, I mean, I was thinking specifically in terms of borders that if there is a governing body, it governs some physical space. Oh, yeah. I think they have that. The space is Dothalon. Like what? the planet. Jeez. Oh, so just one world government. Why not? It's not like, oh, it's not, it's not like they're going to have different ideas on which way is the best way to do it. Like, empirically, one would turn out to be better than the other, and they would still go for that. Huh. I wonder if there's far less diversity of humanity on Dothalon, then. I guess... They're eugenicists, Sinyash, huh. probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. I, <laughs> I, said, I said that jokingly, but I, th- I, I think that's probably true. Like, uh, where do you think the other 7 billion people went to? Yeah, man. Um, no, I think that, uh, you know, they're... If if they did ever have disagreements on how to run stuff, you know, one one half of the country or one half of the whatever planet would be doing better than the other. And they're like, okay, you know what? Our way is not as good as theirs. Let's do it their way. And yeah. why have two of the same way? You know, unless it's just for like uh, whatever capitalistic competition, maybe just we can all just work together and keep the competition, you know, in, internal rather than against each other. Um, and it which differs from the way that they do it here, which is like, well, if the king aside kills your guys as king, then y'all are now go now work for their king. 
um, yeah. which is which is kind of funny. Uh, yes, but he, but he has no concept of like you said how conquest works. Yeah, yeah. And it's if like, he thinks they, that they the people, like, yeah, they don't like love the guy. They just know that they'll be next. Right. They don't switch sides. <laughs> they they are compelled to now follow these new orders. Yeah, their their side just lost, and uh, you know they saw what happened to the loser. So mm-hmm, lest they mm-hmm. become you know the next crow food, they're like, yeah, whatever you say, king. Interesting. Okay. He's in, I, I would still think that there would be some boundaries, though, like some places that one police service protects that another one doesn't. I mean, why do we have those here other than distance? Literally that, because you can't patrol the entire world. You have to localize it to, to a community. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying like space isn't a factor on Dothalon, but like, I mean, like physical distance isn't a factor, but the idea that you in this state, we do it this way. In that state, we do it that way. That makes no sense. Why, why should someone in Wyoming sense. have to cross a border to get an abortion here in Colorado? That's fucking madness. Well, right, that is. But, like, maybe there's different taxes in different areas because they have to fund different things. Although, now that I mention it, Dot the Lawn probably just has Georgia's land value taxes. <laughs> you're probably right. But but even, like, non-land taxes, uh, you're, you know, some places would be paying for more bridges than others, right? Because there's more mm-hmm. uh, water bodies to cross. You know, so whether it goes to bridges or roads, depending on your geography, is kind of just... Outside the point. And also public goods, it sounds like, are mostly financed by um, high status philanthropers who philanthropists, philanthropists who uh, get a lot of hot babes as uh, as their reward. I, I because guess it's very sexy to do that kind of thing. Yeah, not because, I, you know, they're being paid off. I'm not sure if public good encompasses things like roads and firefighters or if it means things like art installations, something that's not like a, nece- a necessary utility. There's a pretty specific definition of public good, which is something that is everybody can partake of and you can't exclude other people from partaking in it. I guess, yeah, roads. All right. I can no, see no, that. No, no, you could absolutely put tolls on roads. Yeah. So what what, what counts as public good then? If Because uh, uh, you, 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 you could put guards on everything. Removing pollution? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. It's the first thing I would think of. I could see things like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, I, I had to call out this other bit here because uh, we, we had a Bayesian conspiracy episode on bounded, bounded distrust recently. Mm, yes. Uh, Cuthbert says, as he's like, you know, going through this book and he's like, it should mostly fall under the rule for the moment of not believing any fact which a drug o- drugs author seems to be actually trying to make him believe. <laughs> right. Which is what he's calling all these authors because it sounds like they're all on fucking drugs to him. Right. <laughs> drugs author. <laughs> He sounds like not in my good Christian neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, but yes, he's he's doing the smart thing, reading things. Oh my god, I I recently read an article which was I was so confused by it until I was like, oh right, read with bounded distrust, <laughs> and then immediately it snapped into picture into place exactly what they wanted people to the the agenda they were pushing and the fact that they didn't fucking care. If uh, if you use two brain cells, that it all fell apart. In, like, God damn. Very briefly, what was it uh, saying and what was it actually saying? I'm going to take a timestamp and edit this out. But uh, so what it was saying, now that we're starting again, let me take another timestamp and maybe we'll put it for patrons. Yeah, I mean, that was funny. I, I, okay. And it was, yeah, I think it was worth hearing. All right. Well, we got a cool not thing for, for patrons. No, no. If you want us to get canceled, you have to give us money first. That sounds fair. Yeah, absolutely. So he turns around at long last and sees all the girls and is like, huh, there's a lot of highly attractive girls that seem to be just paying a ton of attention to me. This is 
unusual. And he snaps back around. He's like, okay, okay, what the fuck? What is going on? And then he's like, I know exactly what's going on. I ha- They know I have plus four SD intelligence and Dot Alani would do the exact same thing. Dothalami civilization would try the same thing if so someone showed up from an alternate timeline with plus four standard deviation intelligence derived from a different selection history, yielding an entirely different set of intelligence promoting alleles. Obviously, they want those alleles. That is some awesome diversity in a great direction and their eugenic society, as we know. And and I thought it was fucking hilarious that he like he uses his cultural glasses and sees something which is I guess not technically wrong, but absolutely not at all their motivation. And and no one no one was thinking that when they sent all these girls into this room to try to seduce him. Yeah, maybe I should be lighter on him about it. Because like, you know, part of me is like, dude, you know, like I said, he puts on his cultural glasses and, you know, they are very thick frames, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, but I've never been thrown onto an alien planet. I would I would have nowhere else to start. Right. Yeah. So I, I would probably be making assumptions for my home world, too. But like, and I guess maybe, you know, spycraft probably isn't that much of a thing unless, you know, I guess I could see it maybe being amongst competing companies, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they're spies. Right. I mean, that coming from Earth, that would be our assumption because we know about honeypot traps. Yeah. And I guess they don't have honeypots on Dothalon, but. Or if they do, they're probably like really cool looking books or something. (laughs) They're just like really shiny looking contracts with really (laughs) fine print. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like who who knows what the honeypot on Dotalon is, but yeah, the that is obviously what we would think. And so if we were sent to uh to Dotalon, then we would be completely wrong because they would actually be trying to get our precious man juices. Well, you're welcome to them. Uh <laughs> There was a great episode of what we do in the shadows like that, remember? I do not. Oh, I think season 2 they get abducted by witches. You, you how, to, how am I not remembering this? Uh, you'll have to go back and find it. It was a, it was one of their best episodes. I mean, okay, a lot of them cool. are great, but this was, you know, I, it was really good. So check it out. Yeah. Um, we'll do that. Yeah. I, you know, part of me is like in his whole thoughts here with all these women is like, man, his arrogance is also four extended deviations above the average here, but he's coming from a different culture. I don't want to be like a cultural relativist, but is it cultural relativism? If you say aliens are weird? Uh, no, no. I think that's just a fact. Yeah. So, I mean, he's looking at it in a, in what on earth would be an insane way of thinking about things. Yes. But, you know, to him, it's like, well, this this makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad I, we, we get a couple of peeks behind the curtain from other points of view that really help ground all of this. Uh, yeah. But I, I was, my eye rolling was, you know, part of the reason I had trouble getting through this is my eyes kept leaving the page to roll. Uh, but <laughs> I'm like, dude, okay. you, you're, you are, it's, you are so cringe right now. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but I get it. I think. Yeah. I, I, he wasn't. So I don't know. The, so the, the one the, thing these girls are here looking at the alien with weird clothes, you know, even if I mean, they, yeah. even if they, even if they weren't all rushed here as uh, spies, which they probably were, but even yes. if they weren't, it's like, of course they're going to be looking at him. He's wearing presumably a leather jacket because he isn't in the pictures. Right. Yeah. And guess what? They don't have cows here because whatever reason, <laughs> right. So they don't, have, I, they don't have leather. Like what's this guy wearing? It'd be like somebody wearing us, you know, those space suits from the 1960s of what every alien was wearing, those silver, you know, jogging suits. Yeah, but the fact that they're all very attractive teenage girls would ring some alarm bell in your head. Oh, 100%. So you would not think that they're here to see my jacket. Uh, fair. You would I, think I, that they're here to be the honeypot spy trap thing. I would think that you're right. And if I didn't have the concept of honeypot spy trap, then I might think, oh, they're here for my my precious, precious seed. 
So, I what? So, I mean, if you were a rock star or something, and an entire room full of groupies showed up backstage, would you assume that they are there to spy on you, or would you assume they were there for your precious seat? So that's the arrogance, though. This dude isn't publicly a rock star yet. He's publicly a fucking weirdo, right? I don't know how he, how quickly word got out that a god, you know, summoned him to this temple, but uh-huh. I kind of I kind of doubt they put that on TV, right? Sure, but he's he doesn't think that these girls found out about him and came here of their own accord. He thinks that they were sent here by the the archduke because the archduke knows exactly why he was sent here. He was sent here by his god and uh and they know that he's plus 4 SD intelligence and has a lot of secrets inside him and uh so these women were quickly recruited and sent here for some specific purpose and this is a very good guess as to what that purpose might be fair enough <laughs> you know the thing is that i think you're right but i was like i was so put off by like his his tone and the way he was thinking about this yeah um like that that i i find myself reluctant to give ground which means i'm giving it up as quickly as i can because I, uh, I don't like that feeling. So I think I think you're probably 100% right, but it's just like uh you know there there was no indication to us that they're here to to have sex with him, right? Uh they're, no, they're there was... to like whatever, uh flirt with him, maybe. Maybe not even lead to sex, right? Certainly they don't want necessarily to get impregnated, right? They're, I mean, they're here they to win him over. But yes, that's, they're that's... sent there specifically to seduce him, which right. m- may very well result in sex if they do their job well. And if they do, do their job poorly, it may result in, pre- in pregnancy, but... Uh, well, no, if they do their job well, then it may result in sex, and sex sometimes results in pregnancy, so I think that would be part of a job well done, but at if, least but if you're a from spy, their you, you uh, it, archdukes. It, yeah, I know, I'm just teasing that, you know, if you're a spy, you know, getting pregnant on your first mission slows down your ability to keep being a spy, but... Oh, right, I'm, I mean, they're not technically spies, they're girls from the college nearby where the archduke was like, get the fuck in there and seduce his ass. Uh, they could have tried harder. They should be like, ooh, look at math and look at uh look at look at these these books. Although they did keep it dropping pencils. Like they tried hell- so, yeah, exactly. They yeah. tried pretty hard. They, he's, they, he's a fucking alien. They he did their earthling find- best. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, I think I, like uh, I, I took it just like he was he it, it felt so like uh, uh I mean I think explaining where I'm coming from actually maybe maybe sounds ridiculous now because I think I totally get where you, what you've said. But okay. if you read it another way where it's like his his assumption that like you know, oh, they're here because, you know, they're, they're super into me. If you read mm-hmm. that as completely unfounded, doesn't he come off like ridiculous? I, I don't know how to possibly read it like that because they're there for him specifically. And everybody knows that. Yeah. There's but the no thing is, way like, if, if, I'm, if I'm that... told to be there, I guess their motivations don't actually matter. He doesn't say they like me. He says they're trying to fuck me. Yeah. Which like, is, which everybody is Everybody knows. Yeah. And, and like, we know the Archduke knows, he knows that, it is not a coincidence that this library is stuffed full of attractive teenage girls. And so the real question is, why are these girls there? And we assume it's for the spy craft, uh, which is an actual actuality what happens because uh, the, the Galathian world is very much like Earth. Uh, but he assumes that it is for the genetic spy craft, which is a fair assumption coming from his world. Yeah, I guess I just I read it totally wrong. I'm curious if I'm the only one. Um but mm. see this this warmed me back up to the story. Like it's not like I was turned off from the whole story from it, but it was just like, man, I hate this guy. Like <laughs> I the thing is I find him super hard to relate to. But I've read very yeah. few books that's you know, the protagonist is an alien. So like yeah. it's it's hard to uh I you know, I, I need to, you know, check myself. Um and just Just think of it like the way I 
like to think of these sort of stories ever since I first saw the first Thor movie. And I mean, there's a lot of stories like out there like this where you complete fish out of water things. Um, uh, Twins was another great one from like the mid eighties with Schwarzenegger and DeVito. That but th- great movie, by the way, a lot of it yeah. doesn't, it's not quite as funny. We watched it just a couple months ago because Rachel hadn't seen it. You know, they're making oh, cool. a, a sequel. Is it with Schwarzenegger and DeVito? And um, I think Eddie Murphy is triplets. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. This is great. It's going to be amazing. Oh yes. Uh, but yeah, it, there, there's a lot of stories like that, but just the Thor one is the one I default to where it's like a, someone from a completely alien culture, absolutely fish out of water story. And I just love to see how the cultural interactions clash and they look kind of like fools, but not their fault because it makes sense from their society kind of thing. I, I find them delightful. No, you, you make a, perfectly compelling point i think you're 100 right it's just funny because i keep trying to relate to him like i related to june right ah okay. or, or even harry uh from methods of rationality right yeah but they're both uh earthlings yes i, I really just need to give this guy you know more distance hmm. and then then observe the the novelty of like because that's in when i'm doing it that way his thoughts are actually really funny they're yeah, funny. They're yeah. funny in how off the mark they are, but of course that's where he would go. <laughs> yes. No, you're you're, and, you're spot on. I think your reading is the correct reading, and I I was uh, inserting myself too much into it. They had that great part where you get to see it from the other side. The people who are you know Earthlings, basically, just talking about how fucking insane he is. They literally tell everybody this guy is actually insane. And, I really like that. When <laughs> then when they're making fun of him uh, and how he thinks, the, one of the wizards is like, ah, I didn't hear any numbers. <laughs> and the other guy's, oh, oh yeah, 37, 1.5, 896. And the other one's like, okay, okay, now that, that makes sense. Then. Credible claim, continue. I loved that. It was it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, <laughs> it was it, hilarious. From, from, my, you know, from where I was at before, I'm like, oh, good. These bees of humanity. Yeah. These guys get it, right? Yeah, now, these the, are what, the humans in the story. What's, what's a drag is that Keltham actually gets it. Like he's actually he smart. Work. He's the decision theorist. You know, he's these people are like all eager to die and go to hell, right? Like, mm. they're, they're, the, so I, I'm not fully in their camp, but I relate to them a lot easier, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they look at this guy, and you know, it, it'd be like you know, in the first movie, Thor's running around yelling for his hammer, and then you know, if if they had Darcy, uh, whatever, Cat Dennings, run around like hammer, hammer, where are you? Like that's really funny, and she's making fun of him, but from where he's coming from. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm actually talking to my magic hammer. Like, why are you giving me a hard time about this? Right. Yeah. So that, this, that's what they're doing here. And it, it works great. Um, yeah. And I just, I need to, uh, I don't know where I lost, where, where Keltham lost my uh, charity, but I think it was just me trying to like, trying to put myself in his head. Was it when he didn't bone it in the wrong the spot? Was it when he didn't bone them? Yeah. No, it was when he assumed that they're all just, you know, sopping wet for him, even though he just showed up and, you know, it, to me, they're obviously spies who don't like, they want to be there because they're told to be there, not because they're like, they think he's really cool and want to have his babies, right? Oh, uh, I, I, yeah. I but, mean, again, but, I don't think they necessarily think he's really cool. But, but I think, and, well, you know, really cool. I, he thinks that they're there to procreate because they're paid to, but, and yes. that, that's half right. They're there yeah. because they're, they're told to be there because they're spies. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it's just, it's a, I think it was just that gap. I don't know. It's, if I haven't, if if you haven't picked up what I'm putting down now, I don't quite know how else to articulate it. No, I think I think I sort of get it because you, you know, come to think of it, this kind of clears up a thing for me, which I thought was a little strange at first. Okay, so um, 
the the one thing that I did pull out as kind of weird was that Keltham says, "Oh, if this is if he knew his life was going to go like this, he would have spent a lot more time studying population genetics, sexual technique, and flirting." Hmm. And I was like, "Dude, this is literally what you wanted for your life. You were going to war in you know metaphorical terms in order to get a, a dozen ladies or more and have 144 babies, and now it's falling in your lap. Like this is great, right? But like." What you just said, the assumption that they're all sopping wet, I, I don't think he has that assumption. And I think, actually, that is why he doesn't do anything with them, because he wants them to actually want him. He doesn't want them just to be ordered to go there and get pregnant and get his genes. And uh, maybe that was a bit of boner killer for him to be like, well, they, they'd be having sex with me under orders rather than because they actually think that I'm awesome. And, uh, and he couldn't do it. I think... He doesn't know that it's under orders. He assumes that they're being compensated um, by and in in the terms it's of true. compensated being for them is actually just not being killed or tortured, right? But yeah, yeah. Uh, he assumes it's money, and I think he'd be fine having sex with, sex with somebody that somebody paid them to have sex with them, right? Hey, you yeah, know, that's a good you, point. you you entered into Probably an agreement. Would. This seems totally legit. I yeah, think that yeah. he did. I think my reading on it was that he did the wise thing. Is like you know what? It's my first night here. I yeah. should probably know the first and second thing about this planet before I start fucking people. Right. It just, yeah. it just seems prudent that I, I have some idea what the hell's happening before I just start fucking around, literally fucking around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think also the prudent thing is a good call because if the thing that you really want and have been working for just falls in your lap, I think it may be wise to be like, hold on a minute. Is this a trick? Should I get an ax? I, I am not trusting of my good fortune here. If an older Italian gentleman came up to you and was like, here's $100,000. No, no, forget that. Here is $5 million. Take $5 million. I would probably immediately say, I don't think I want your $5 million. Because after this, I'm going to be owned by the mob for the life or something. Yeah. If you found a bottle that said elixir of you know immortality on it, you probably wouldn't just break it open and drink it. So... Despite the fact that he's got a lot of pretty good girls in front of him, he, he actually has a high enough wisdom score to not jump at this. Smart. Speaking of smart things, there is a piece of wise advice in here, which I thought was cool enough that maybe I should like write this down and remember it. He says, a stereotypical wise question to ask when you're scared. So assuming that this is uh, something that's said on Datalan a lot when you're scared. Suppose you go on avoiding this forever. How well will that work out for you? <laughs> that's good advice and maybe worth remembering yeah i love it i'm gonna keep that forever i've already said it to myself and uh i will keep that as a i mean it's the kind of thing you can reflexively pull out you know it's also in uh you know some of the other wisdom that yudkowsky's written in like the sequences or methods of rationality right but just put so succinctly you might you might be scared to get whatever this thing looked at by the doctor because what if it's bad news right yeah, so, well, yeah. What if, you, if you avoid it forever how does that work out you know, either you no seriously, either you spend, you know, the rest of your 50 healthy years worried that it's a thing or yeah. it is a thing or and you don't get it looked you. at. And it, and it, you know, it could have been stopped earlier. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm sorry. The reason I giggled is because I was just thinking that in his particular situation, instead of it being this boil that you might need to someone to look at, it's the amorous female hordes bent on mating with him. <laughs> so, it's a problem we all must uh, he, face, he, you know. Yes, this is wisdom. Every man at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great lines. I don't think he put specifically on his list of like paranoias that they might be reading his mind, but like they didn't put a bunch of hot guys here, right? 
It could just oh, be that homosexuality true. is heresy on their planet and they wouldn't have thought of it, but they definitely ah. you know, probably guessed, they probably saw his tastes, right? Yeah. Maybe he assumed that they saw he responded okay to flirting with Carissa? I don't know. Yeah. That's or, a good or, point. Maybe. you know, read his thoughts about, you know, oh, she's pretty or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they obviously read his thoughts, but why didn't he wonder, why didn't they put in some boys as well? Oh, and he was distracted point. by all the amorous female hordes, you know? Right? Yeah. If if some of that blood hadn't been diverted to his genitals, maybe he would have realized they might be reading my mind. So so as far as I mentioned incels at the top of the show, like if this and, you know, pickup artists and that kind of like just awful whatever mentality, mm-hmm. if this was an earth person talking and thinking like this, this has to be oh. like, you know, if you want to do, you know, guys, do you want to be just uh preyed upon by hordes of amorous females then buy my pickup artist book right <laughs> nice yeah okay so that's where you were going with that uh, yeah like if if the phrasing isn't funny if someone's trying to take that literally i'm like oh you're just an asshole and you're you're crazy but you know it i get where he's coming from and, and i really appreciate you helping me get my head on this straight because it's already enhanced my enjoyment of it retroactively as well so then it turns out that these aren't just pretty teenage girls they're pretty teenage girls from an advanced magic university nearby and they're pretty damn smart and so he kind of has a research harem they they immediately are like oh cool we can actually talk about the subject that we are studying and are interested in and they get talking about that and he refers to them as his research haremets after this it's lovely i feel like it's a little um dehumanizing of them but no, it's a, it's like a thing when you call someone you know my pet or my pretty girl or whatever it's a, it's a cutesy name I guess I don't have a, a lot of exposure to harems where, you know, the, the people who are the haremets are the are agenty and happy, right? Well, okay, but I have seen you and Rachel together and you have all sorts of cute names for each other. Yeah, I wouldn't call her my haremet though, even if even <laughs> if I had uh, a harem to speak of. But very well. However, you, I'm coming at you harem are a gentleman. With a, but but I I've got a loaded background for it. Um, ah, good point. You know, it that could just be what, you know. If you toss out the baggage for it, it's a great name for it. So, you know, I can't assume that Dothalon has the same baggage that our English has. So, right. How many syllables do you think harem is in baseline? I mean, it's already only two in English. I know, which is kind of funny (laughs) because it's, does it come up a lot? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's apparently yes. Well, I, you know, maybe there's, there's, I think that the syllables to frequency of use and uh, value of word is probably a correlation rather than a hard rule. Right, yeah. But I, I just wonder if like harems to them is just like everyone here talks about girlfriend is two word, two syllables, right? Like stuff like that. Mm. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny. Yeah. I'll think about that once in a while every time he says something weird. I'm like, I wonder if that's fewer or more syllables in baseline. I'm glad that he throws mm-hmm. that out as, you know, explicitly sometimes. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, well, the girls are arguing with each other as uh, what what books to get him, what he can get access to. And at one point, uh, when someone when they're thinking, how far afield can we actually send people to fetch books? Uh, there is at least one whispered Asimodeus's direct orders. <laughs> and we didn't hear very much about the vision that the priest got before they teleported him over here. Now, if like they're saying direct orders, it sounds almost like Asimodeus can just talk directly to people like a, a, a general giving an order to a lieutenant or whoever they give orders to sub generals. I don't know what the military rankings are. Anyways, now I'm like wondering how direct these visions are because before I'd been assuming it was much more of an earth standard vision where you kind of get like some fuzzy feelings and an inclination to do a sort of thing and maybe see a bright light. But 
Now it sounds more like a Zoom call, you know? Ah, the wisdom of uh, Keltham being super pissed at that book hasn't fully sunk in yet, Inyash. <laughs> they, what? They were told by somebody that these were Asmodeus's direct orders. They don't draw a distinction between that and believing that these are Amadeus's direct orders. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, somebody, you know, who had the revelation told somebody who told them that these were Amadeus's direct orders, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also wondered, you know, they said they whispered that loud enough for him to hear, presumably on purpose, but there's really nothing to be gained from giving that up. So I don't actually know why they would say that. I mean, maybe someone just got too excited and careless. I sometimes whisper things louder than I should. No, I think that was it. But it's just kind of funny because in my mind, I'm wondering, like, you don't say that if you're spying on somebody. Look, we're under direct orders here, right? Oh, uh, right. Yeah. But I assumed yeah. that they were giving that up on purpose. But like, no, they, they didn't. It is just, you know, it just happened. But yeah. I mean, why would you even say that part out loud? I guess because you're not a great spy yeah. or young. It's this, this might be their first attempt at this sort of thing. So up until two hours ago, they were literally just engineering students. Yeah, how often, this sort of, how often does this sort of thing happen? Not that often, I think. Yeah. I, for one, have never been press-ganged into spying on anybody. Me either. Certainly. Now that I think about it, I'm kind of disappointed about that. <laughs> All right, so this is a really cool thing. Keltham reads a spell description, and in that spell description, it says that if an intruder approaches to within five feet of this conjured hound, the dog stops barking and delivers a vicious bite once per round. The dog also gets the bonuses appropriate to an invisible creature, see invisibility. Its bite is the equivalent of a magic weapon for the purposes of damage reduction. Like, holy fuck, this world runs directly on tabletop rules, and that is big info. Yeah, it's, didn't like a lot of the spell descriptions and stuff in Worth the Candle have similar language? No, it was something we inferred. It said uh, it can affect up to six people for, and however long it was, it was always uh, divisible by six seconds, I believe. Or uh, five seconds, which was a standard round. Right. And this actually just says per round. And it says equivalent of a magic weapon for the purposes of damage reduction. Like this is explicit. It's funny. And worth the candle. It was always something we had to infer about it. Yeah, because in fact, the world didn't actually work that way. But here it seems like it might. It's interesting because, well, for a hundred reasons. But like, again, I'll be serious. I'll be curious to see what happens if he gets into a fist fight. You know, is it turn based where it's like, wait, why can't I swing my hand again? Um, oh shit oh that'd be so cool or will he be like the only one immune from it Ah, i mean he has a different world so like he's he appears to be somehow operating on these rules um yeah i don't know i'm i'm trying to think if there's any examples we haven't all the stuff that he's doing now or has done so far hasn't been anything that you would have anyone roll for like in a tabletop game or like you need to take turns for unless it wasn't a joke that he rolled against his seduction earlier yeah that that could be We'll keep our eyes peeled. I'm excited about it. Yeah, um, me too. Also, we just have to keep in mind, too, that this is just how somebody said the spell works. Like, <laughs> Oh, it, that's true. Not paranoid enough. Exactly. I do this sometimes, and it's been a while because uh, I forgot how fun it is to just append that to everything. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're uh, on a Zoom call at work mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, yeah, well, we've got a meeting at Monday. That's just what they want me to think. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, you would say that. Uh, that's right what, yes, what are you, what are you really boss, trying to sell me yeah <laughs> are you trying to sell me on the fact that there's actually a meeting on monday okay fine uh-huh. <laughs> very suspicious cool so uh in addition we find out that uh one of the things chris tells him is that the spells have to be 
like held in your mind and then tied off and that inks on a spell book work as a spell structure that you can uh, wrap these energies around. And then here we hear that wizard spells are just the structures that you can build using an item scaffold, tie off, and then carry around until you fire them at something, which would make sense for those to be combat focused because that's where you want to fire something immediately. Uh, but the actual use of magic is much more controlled and uh, deliberate when it's tied to reusable magical items. And like he, he makes sense of why these spells exist the way they are, the way they do, and why they're all combat focused, and how the infrastructure and utility magic actually works. And I don't think any of that is in the canon source books. Like in the source books, it's just like these are the spells because this is how you play the game, you know? So I think this feels like some really good reverse world building to me of the kind that uh, was mentioned by the the user who I don't remember which one it was at this point, uh, who said that like, yeah, this this wasn't in the source book, but it makes perfect sense given the setting that we're given and trying to think through how this actually work if it really was this way. Yeah, I, I like it. Why does my staff of fireball only have 30 charges? And why can I, a low, like a not mage, use it? It's because we want you to be able to shoot fireballs once in a while, and it only has 30, so you can't do it all the time. Like, to us, it makes perfectly intuitive sense. But, you know, you're looking at it from scratch, and you're like, he's understanding how enchantment works kind of from background principles. It's fun. Yeah. I think this line, he was thinking about, like, inventing something or whatever, but he's thinking, oh, but don't try that on your own until we've nailed on all equity distributions and intellectual properties, so I can explain further details. It's legitimately dangerous if you if you don't know what you're doing. Um, oh, he's talking to his hair mats. And it's funny because half of his concern is on their safety and the other half is on securing patents. And <laughs> yeah. It's funny because he's assuming that this place has anything like patent law or, yeah. you know, that it would work on magic spells. Equity you know, distributions. Pff, your equity is that you don't die. Yeah. Or like, you know, once you invent a spell, it's just thrust into the head of every high level mage on the planet. Like maybe that's how it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like I doubt it. But thing is, I don't know. You don't know. Um, or he doesn't know. So it's like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, no, quit trying to make plans about making money yet. You don't know how their stuff works. Just like, I, you know, granted, he's not making plans. He's just saying, hold up a minute, which is, which is prudent. But it's just, to me, it's just funny. He keeps doing that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's so trusting that the society makes sense in the way that his makes sense. He's going to be so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, I like this thought though. He says, in fact, Keltham is carrying a lot because he, he was like, you know, giving away his, his knowledge for free. And mm-hmm. he, he has some reluctance about that. But he's like, you know, I'm carrying a lot of Doth Elan produced information that I got for free. And Doth Elan mm-hmm. would have preferred him to spread it around. And he is, just as he, as he has just contemplated, honorable even in the dark. Yeah, for free. Just because that is what the culture he came from would have wanted. Exactly. Nethus shows up and says, oh, is that squirrel? Nethus is the god of magic, I believe. Is that squirrel thinking about how to do science to magic in order to create huge explosions? And I thought this was really cool because you can apparently directly catch a god's attention by thinking very specific things. Like certain thoughts just look like giant flares and that's cool info about the gods. I think that probably this deal and this dude, you know, has percolated um, along the group text chain of all the gods, right? So they're probably, all, mean, they're probably all wondering, like, wait, why did Abadar make such a deal to have this guy? Like, oh, oh, I see. He's he's thinking weird shit. That's fun. Oh, you think you think the other gods were already aware of him? Uh, I think they're becoming aware. Like, you know, this is only like a couple hours after he called uh, Abaddon about this, right? Yeah, that's why I thought the god was got alerted by his thoughts that they weren't already looking at him. Because then it says like, oh, it appears to be in Sheliax. And then he goes off to bother Asmodeus, implying that 
Nethus doesn't know that Abadar has already contacted Asmodeus about it. Oh, you're right. Okay, that makes sense. I thought that he was talking to Asmodeus or Abaddon or whatever oh, later. Oh, like the three of them are all just kind of like hanging out, checking out this, th- this guy. I guess I don't, I don't know where they are or if like where is a concept that makes sense when you're talking about the gods. You know, was he over at Abadar's for tea and just like saw him looking at this at this squirrel or what? But um, I think it was just the fact that he started thinking about doing science to magic that Nethus <laughs> is like, my spidey sense is tingling. What's going on? Oh my God, look at that squirrel having those crazy thoughts. You think that Nethus is like the god of like Mythbusters science? <laughs> I don't know, but I think if someone started thinking about how to do science to magic, a god of magic would probably notice. Yeah, but this god seems to have like a good level of enthusiasm about it. So I'm going to go with Mythbusters style magic. I could totally see that. Yeah, because the other one, there, there is another god of like uh, destructive explosions or something, right? Uh, or something like that. It was, uh, ah, it's in the notes. We'll, we'll find him. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. Well, we can't get there if we don't keep going. So, so Keltham has now called this project the Galarian Industrialization Project, which I think is excellent. It's good to have names for things. Uh, the girls realize that he does seem does not seem to act or talk in a way that reflects this self assigned high status as someone in charge of this project. Uh, and trying to show him overt signs of deference causes him to produce odd looks and uncomfortable side glances. <laughs> so even though he thinks he's in charge of this thing, he's like, when they try to treat him like he's a CEO or something, he's like, oh, whoa, I'm, no, hey, man, I'm, I'm just a dude, which I, I like, my kind of guy. I got the, the meme came to mind of uh, T'Challa when they go to Wakanda in Infinity War. And mm-hmm. I think it was uh, um, War Machine convinces Bruce that, you know, he's a king, bow. And then he bows and he's like, oh, we, we don't do that here. Um, oh, cool. I think that's what Keltham's vibe is. It's like, what do you, I'm not like, don't defer to me. If anything, you should be challenging me more if I'm in charge of this. Like, yeah, that's the only way totally. we're going to get shit done. Um, mm-hmm. But they have, they have different norms. They have our norms yeah. where the leader is uh, in charge. So to be revered rather than like, hold on, shouldn't we be trying to rip, the, rip your shit apart? Like just to make sure it's really right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of yeah. makes think we're doing it wrong, which is, uh, you know, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but. You know, it seems like someone might be suggesting that. I, it seems like a solid guess. Oh man, I'm such a I'm no. such a good reader. <laughs> hey man, you you've, you've had like years of experience reading now. That's At true. At least two. Yep. <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, he has another suspicion. He thinks it's suspicious that he's been running around the whole library, learning all sorts of things about magical theory, a little bit of material science, etc. Uh, but he hasn't learned anything about the gods whose utility functions and strategies apparently play a critical role in determining the equilibria of this whole universe. And uh, I think, actually, I mentioned that at the top of this episode. I, I read this across two different days. So, uh, whoops, sorry for pulling that out twice. But at this point, yeah, he he is noticing this and is like, yeah, okay, the the they are intentionally hiding this from me. I think I think that's, I think that's, I don't know. I think it's probably true, likely true, that they're intentionally hiding the gods utility functions and strategies from him but on the other hand maybe they really are that dumb and haven't thought of those because they're baseline humans they're not they're not um Bathalani. what do you think um one good piece of evidence to convey to us that this had happened would have been like keltham noticing that like some of the bookshelves weren't as full as they could have been right um you know like why is this whole part like why is this third of a section missing um yeah it looks like someone cleaned out a bunch of dangerous books. I think that it's distinctly plausible. They just don't have these books. Um, You know, they might have some on like, uh, okay, sorry. So 
the god Abadar made him a cleric. Yes. Yeah, but they're in Asmodeus's domain, right? Yes. Okay. Or were they, and now they're teleported to Abadar's domain? As I believe they're still in Asmodeus's domain. It's in Keliax. Okay. Uh, so or Cheliax. I'm not sure. Probably Keliax, though, because no one pronounces things the way they should be pronounced. And Galarian is the planet. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's a lot of nonsense words, but they're coming together. So um, they probably have books on Asmodeus, right? Our one yes. true god. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they probably don't have books on all the other gods because, you know. Heresy. Yeah, it's the, isn't that like the first commandment? Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, I believe it is, yes. Yeah, so I'm sure that, you know, these these gods have similar uh, similar rule structures mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Especially because yeah. later on, fucking Carissa is being raked over the coals almost literally oh for being yes. able to accurately have a conversation with a heretic. Yeah. And uh, it's like, look, and oh, you, oh we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, it was and like, I, I wasn't least bit concerned something would actually happen, but it seems like it's planting the seeds for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see if anything comes from that, but sure. It'll be fun. If uh, Keltham gets a say in it. Yeah. You're going to try and punish Definitely. her. Cause she's a good thinker. Fuck you guys. Cleric magic. Right? Uh, <laughs> well, at level seven, he's probably going to get a, uh, get stomped. Well, I, I mean, seven, you know, it depends on, I guess what clerics can do and whoever this, this priest is or whatever, the guy that was interrogating her. I kind of just assume no one has magic unless it explicitly says they do. Um, okay. Although, uh, Chris has magic. Can't, maybe it's not that hard. Didn't she give some numbers like 5% of people that can do magic or something? Yeah, this came up in the discord. So, um, I had commented how the range for normal humans is between three and 18, which is true of, uh, the, the D and D that I mostly played. Cause I played most of my D and D between the ages of 10 and 20, which was a uh, second edition advanced D and D, uh, in Pathfinder, I just learned this talking on the Discord, humans get plus two bonus to any one stat that they can put anywhere they want, which on the one hand kind of wounds my soul because the humans are supposed to be the the default standard, like all other races are judged by how they vary off the humans, right? But I understand. We don't have a bloodline perspective. Perks. Yeah, yeah. I, but I understand from the game playing perspective, this makes it so that no one chooses the humans because you always want to specialize your character for whatever they're best at. So you choose the race that's got the int bonus for your wizard. You choose the race, you know, so the humans never get played. So you got to give something to humans that, uh, that they can, that they would be used and that's okay. But it also means that then the, the, it adjusts the average to be, uh, up to 20 for a natural human without magical intervention. And someone also pointed out that every four levels, you get plus one to any attribute, which is also the case in the old D&D. But I wasn't particularly worried about that because the vast, vast majority of the populace is level zero characters. Uh, It's basically only adventurers and the uh, higher level enemies that they run up against that have any levels at all. Uh, but then as was pointed out, things have changed in the, the recent world, I guess. And a lot more humans just have levels in stuff. And as you said, like 5% of the population is wizards apparently. So at least 5% is a level one something and probably significantly higher than that if they can cast more than level one spells. So yeah, I don't, now I don't know what the standard distribution of stats might be in the world and, uh, and how many people with levels exist. 
in the populace. That's a good point. I guess I'm going to kind of just for now base it on how things worked on Arab, which is like, well, I guess because here they ha- actually have levels, you know, rather than like in a number, you know, numbers that you can infer, right? Mm-hmm. Or apply like, mm-hmm. you know, but, but a, a run of the mill carpenter with no magic on Arab, you know, had carpentry skills that you could steal with a soul magic, right? That's true. Um, you know, so like, but then again, this is like the Archduke's private quarters. All of his people here are going to be badasses. That's a good point. See, that that wasn't necessarily case back in the day. Like the captain of the guard would have levels, but just your average guardsman, they'd be level zero mooks. And uh, I would imagine these guardsmen probably have some levels in a combat class. Well, we'll uh, I'm, I don't know. Keltham doesn't strike me as much of a fighter, but I'm curious to see what will happen when we get our first combat. I feel like I should have... Uh, kept up with the tabletop games as they progressed but you know what you only got so much time in your life and and i'm glad i spent it on the things i did spend it on and there's other games to play so yeah that's true too moving on i apologize to my audience my tabletop rpg knowledge <laughs> is going to be out of date so i will try not to lean on it as, like i had been in previous episodes well it's hard to i mean i'm, I'm leaning on arab which is absolutely not what this is but you know really right. know what we got so i liked how he does briefly entertain the idea that the whole library was faked Right. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, great. He's thinking from the top of the of the paranoia ladder, but he does mm. say that there are levels of paranoia which are hard to operate productively. And I'm like, that's a really good point. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure, it could all have been faked, but given that I can't do anything with that with that possibility, why don't I just like not live there until I get really <laughs> compelling evidence to? Yeah. yeah. It's like living in the matrix. We might be, but what can you possibly do with that information? So don't bother with it. Yeah. Fuck all. The Keepers. We learn a thing about the Keepers. They conserve much that is hazardous in terms of info hazards. I assume they are the Keepers of info hazards, which is kind of cool. Maybe also the Keepers of history, if history is an info hazard? I assume so. Which is great, because I mean, somebody knows what's up. Oh, wait, but he's not going to talk to any more Keepers. All right, they so don't exist. Unless he already knows his history, the, the secret history, then we're not going to learn it either. Hmm. That's all right. This isn't the history of Jothalon. This is going to be, you know, the, the new history of Galarian. Yeah. All right. We do see him thinking and trying to contact Abadar again and thinking in terms of not being a human, but rather being a decision theory executing agent. And uh, one of the things that he says uh, when he when he does this is he compares like counterfactuals that there has to be some point where you'd be willing to accept a chance of your mother dying in return for X amount of dollars, assuming like the dollars are high enough and the chance is low enough. And he says, but most people would not get much further in life on account of insisting to themselves that they confront such points. What would be the point of the soul strife? And I found that really interesting. I wasn't sure exactly what to say about it, aside from the fact that I didn't really expect to hear that coming from Keltham. It sounds like he's asserting that ruminating on counterfactuals is considered to be damaging to humans in Dathalan. And honestly, I think that's correct. And uh, yet another harm that lotteries create is making people ruminate on counterfactuals that that are damaging to their psychology to ruminate on. (laughs) But do you think this is what he was saying here? And do you think it's true? I like the the lottery point that you made. I think that he's not just saying that counterfactuals, I think, or at least in my reading, I think that he's saying that basically... You know, there's no point in mentally twisting yourself over some convoluted thought experiment. And that if I can prove to you via convoluted thought experiments that, in fact, you would, you know, uh, give Hitler $100 million under these constraints, under these bizarre constraints, you might actually just be a worse person afterwards, right? Mm, Yeah. Uh, I think I've mentioned, uh, but it's been a while, that 
I was having some, you know, enthusiastic, esoteric, annoying conversation about uh, philosophy and stuff with a friend at a coffee shop when Rachel and I were first getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, well, you know, do you pay back what you owe? You know, Socrates, def- one of the one of the definitions of justice, you know, if you know the guys can do something bad and we're sitting there like hashing it out, you know, in terms of like duty and, you know, utility and whatever. And she just pipes in. She's like, if I knew he was going to murder somebody with that, I would just call the cops. And I'm like, see, that's like, that's, that's why you need like to get off like the, I think that's, I think that's what he's getting at here is like, you know, we wasted an hour, you know, jerking each other off over like, you know, the thought experiment when in fact the actual answer is right in, right in our face. Right. There is no such thing as wasted time jerking off, sir. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I get your point. I, I think that, uh, you know, there's definitely, you know, I'm not saying that entertaining thought experiments and, you know, thinking counterfactuals is necessarily bad, but yeah, yeah. it's really easy to get, again, listen to some convoluted thought experiments about um, people shouldn't have kids. And it's mm-hmm. like being browbeat by argumented thinking that way over like all these annoying constraints on a thought experiment. If you imagine a perfectly spherical horse in a vacuum. I think that's what he's getting at. It's like, that's actually not productive. You're right. Because a little later on, he says that his own mind is also going to be very disorganized, very human, very not a locally coherent shard of higher unbounded validity, probability, utility, decision. With those four words capitalized, so I assume they are um, elements of decision theory. And that's, that's when I was like, okay, yeah, so maybe he is saying that a pure formalized decision theory executor like an AI that might be inimical to a human mind and we're just natively incoherent and that's foundational to being a human. And so if we tried not to do that, it would make us, it would, it would harm us. You know, I think, uh, the, I think that's the intended reading. Uh, and that, that backs up what we were talking about a second ago. Like, uh, you know, the, the dust specs versus torture experiment, right. Mm -hmm. Or thought experiment. That's not something that, you and I need to really burn our t- burn any time thinking about unless we're making a god, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we want a god. We want our our super god to make the make the right decision there. But like, right. what the hell point does it do us to think to to have that belief? Oh yes, if I if I was given the choice, I would choose the torture over the despects or something, right? So right. Well, guess what? I'm not right. Yeah, it, it might actually make us worse human beings. Yeah, those sorts of ethics are for uh, you know, are not for humans. Yeah, damn good call. All right, what's this about squirrels? Uh, um, Abadar is gonna is is thinking about man, you know, it, it, he's twisted himself into this you know fragile shape, and squirrels are fragile even under the best circumstances. The squirrel is strange; prophecy is broken. It'd be awfully tragic if this one exploded. Like <laughs> like just thinking the wrong thoughts is gonna make him explode. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I'm just tickled that the gods all call them squirrels when they're talking to us, and even Nethers yes. comes in and you know talks about talk, says it's, he's a squirrel and like it just uh it make it makes me laugh and it's uh yeah. it's funny how he like just that's how his thoughts are leading about it he he, he seems to be i don't know how does how is abadar relating to keltham right now like concerned for his safety but not like i'm concerned for someone's safety right like you don't want to lose a valuable tool concern yeah and it's because it's not even merely curiosity of what he's going to do Oh, you know what he sees? He sees like this. You know, I've made an investment in this guy that I think will pay off a lot. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. he's uh, watching the Doge stock go up and down, and he wants to make sure <laughs> it, it goes up. So mm-hmm. it can't go up if it if it explodes. It's true. Yeah, and uh, this is great. He he 
does manage to drop cleric levels on him because uh, he finally actually asked to be a cleric. And he's like, yeah, it's expensive to drop too many. I'm going to do three. And Nethus is like, make it seven. It'll be more exciting with seven. I'll pay the difference. <laughs> and I love Nethus. Nethus is totally like a, a trickster kind of character here. Like, just fuck around with the world because it'll be fun to see what happens. I'm assuming Nethus is a chaotic god. And uh, this fun, this story just got, got more fun for me. Yeah. 70% more nutso, as I said. Would it be 35% more nutso since there are presumably 20 cleric levels? Ah, that's a good point. Uh, yes. I mean, we've got to, we've got to keep our numbers straight. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, but I, I love it. And uh, he's just like, it, I'm trying to think of like an analogy of, you know, well, we, we, we're going to see if this, you know, if one barrel of C4 is enough to, or not C4, that'd definitely be <laughs> enough. I'm thinking more in Mythbusters science again, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we shoot this tank with this gun, will it explode like in the movies? And it's like, no, use use the big gun, the one that explodes planes. I'll pay for it. Like, I just want to see what happens, right? <laughs> nice, yeah. That, that's what he's doing here. It's great. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Keltham has uh, Harry Nukowski's sleep disorder. Uh, he says that he sleeps for a while. His Doth Elani port of origin sleep cycle not matching up exactly with Cheliac's time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that could be that. what that is. I mean, there probably definitely was some jet lag involved. And mm-hmm. if they are at a, if they did start, you know, their day at a, at a pole where there was no sun, uh, set then, mm-hmm. or, you know, no day night cycle, then it could be that. But I, I'm going to just assume that it's, uh, the, the sleep thing again. Yeah, it could be. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm with you that that is a good chance of what it is. I sort of doubt it'll be, a, be as big a problem here as it was in Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of a fun little like, Oh, I recognize that. It'd be great if you got a time turner again. Yeah, that's how they're going to solve it here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Carissa is trying to st- uh, understand Keltham. She she thinks it's not going to be uh, her- heretical to understand him. And then she prays. Uh, her prayer was really fucking good, I thought, as a prayer. And like also really creepy. Like if I was a believer, this is exactly the kind of prayer that I would want to pray. It really invokes the whole... I am part of something bigger. This will last beyond me. This this is an impact to the world, and I'm just a small piece of it, and I want to be the best small piece of it that I can. And I that, suck. That, you rock. Well, I mean, yeah, there's that in it too, but like the whole, this is a much bigger thing than any one human, and I want to be the best little human piece of it that I can speaks to me a lot, but I don't believe that anything I know of is good enough to deserve that sort of prayer, which kind of sucks. But also, I'm not sure if that sucks. Like, maybe I should be happy that that's the case. Because as good as it would feel to serve something greater, it's also kind of scary to think about just giving up so much of your human agency to something else. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not uh, in that stance compared in, to, you know, in relation to anything on Earth. I mean, like, I can see somebody feeling... To, what was that? You wouldn't want anything to... to have that level to of... believe in that much? No. Yeah. I mean, okay. I liked how... Uh, is it spoiler to talk about Worth the Candle? No, you can't find this podcast if you haven't read Worth the Candle. Uh, you know, Grack liked being soul modified, right? Yeah. It gave him purpose. Um, you know, I I don't know if I'm actually overflowing with purpose on my own, but like I do have uh, some resistance to feeling like that invested. But, you know, I could imagine it like someone feeling that way, you know, for king and country, right? Um, mm-hmm. But thankfully, I'm not in that situation either, right? Okay. You know, like if I, mean, I if I was serving the queen in some secret mission, you know, that, that might save the empire, yeah. you know, I, I could imagine myself thinking that way, but I'm not. And I'm grateful for that. My life is lower stakes. There's, there's nothing quite like that going on. 
Um, but isn't isn't it? Wouldn't it be a good feeling if your life was higher stakes and you mattered? I could totally see that, and yeah, maybe it would be a different feeling. Um, yeah. there, there's a uh, there's a weightlessness and a freedom to being able to do whatever I want, right? If I yes. knew that every minute that I spent, you know, watching Ted Lasso was a minute that could be could be spent furthering the cause, um, mm. you know, I, I wonder if like that's how keyboard warriors feel. Uh, oh, you know, because that's like the closest we can get to like dying for you know, again, king and country, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, or you could actually join the military. People yeah, do do that. That takes a that takes a spine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But huh. you know, and you know, there's there's other pros and cons, but like the the idea that you're fighting for the greater good. You know, I think some yeah. things I do are for the greater good, but I certainly don't have this level of deference to them. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's fun. But when you mentioned true believer last week. Mm. And I and I was curious, you know, like, what do you mean, true believer? Like, the gods right over there, people talk with him, and you're like, no, 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 true believer, capital letters. Like, oh, yeah, like this is how they talk, right? Yeah, yeah. I think when Keltham kills his first god, she's going to feel pretty freaked out. Oh, maybe if it's a god that really needs killing, though, like in her opinion. But I mean, if the gods could be killed, I mean, it's and maybe they can't. But, yeah, you know, yeah, if they can, that sounds like heresy right there, right? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, they might have a lover's quarrel or something. Yeah, we'll see. Assuming that there are lovers at that point. Uh, Do you think they're going to be an item? Probably. There are protagonists. They're both, uh, yeah. you know, just just like in a movie. Well, why are they together? Because they're they're both young and attractive. And right. like, oh, of course. They're, they're the protagonists of the movie. Like, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we got the Inquisitor that shows up. Slash her oh boss. Oh, my God. This was... All right. I found the scene pretty damn tense. Like at some point halfway through, I guess I realized she was doing a good enough job to talk her way out of it. But at least initially I was like, Oh shit. She might be pulled off to be tortured for wrong thing at any moment. And she has to very carefully walk her way through this conversation. I I was pretty, uh, pretty on edge through at least the first half of it. I felt the tension. I just, I didn't think that that was what was going to happen. Just because I don't think that she's going to be put in any mortal danger until Keltham has some super, you know, super fighting powers and can rescue her right Mm, and and vice versa like if she was just like captured and murdered right now that that just wouldn't be narratively satisfying well Um, i'm sure she wouldn't be murdered but taken off to be tortured possibly but then what like he because he can't just like grab a weapon and go in like oh i guess he could barter for her freedom with knowledge or something right that sounds more more bizarre yeah no i guess i was thinking like this guy, whether or not he believed her answer at the end, I don't think he did. And he's sus of her, right? Mm-hmm. I hate sounding like a young person. Um, How dare you sound like a young person? But I think that he was like, well, you gave the correct answer. I can't haul you away right now, right? But it's like, okay, yeah, this guy's definitely got it out for her. Because as she said higher up, like trying to understand Keltham isn't going to be heretical. I think that she thinks that understanding people isn't heretical. And especially Keltham, you know, a servant of our one true God. Oh, wait, their one true God, shit. Do they serve, they serve Asmodeus. Yes. Who I guess like Abadar must like. They get along well enough. They're both lawful. Yeah, I guess. Oh, wait, they don't know what God he got cleric by. They do not. They might assume that it was Asmodeus. They know that it's a lawful neutral God. So it's definitely not Asmodeus since he's lawful evil. Oh, right, right. I guess what I'm thinking is like, I, I like her idea that uh, understanding somebody or something can't be heresy. I also like that idea. I don't think that her priests will agree with her. I 100% agree. That's, that, okay. that's way too open to uh, wrong think, you know? Yeah. You're going to say that you understand their position? That's that's tantamount to uh, endorsing it. And it's like, it's actually totally not. 
right? Well, yeah, but but uh, I mean, I know people who have been hounded in real life for trying to understand other people who are not popular. Oh, totally. So if we can do it in the U.S., they can definitely do it over in Kellyax or Chelyax. Well, I mean, just just imagine, you know, somebody in 1700 saying, you know, I don't. I don't agree with those atheists, but I totally get why they don't think abortion's a problem. In the 1700s? Yeah. Or, I don't think or, abortion was really a thing in the 1700s. I mean, there were definitely things you could do to try not have babies, right? Yeah, but it wasn't people like, didn't care about them that much? And well, it certainly wasn't an atheism versus religion no, divide. I, I, I'm just trying to paint a, a, a quick picture for the point, though, which is just okay, like, I got you. you know, yeah. I could see why they think tithing is a joke, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what? That's like the most important fucking thing to us. How, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not saying I, I think it's a joke. I just see why they do. Yeah, I think that they don't, they didn't internalize. I think it was that Aristotle line of like, it's the mark of an intelligent person that can uh, entertain an idea without believing it. That's definitely heretical thinking right there. Oh, man. Call the Inquisitors. Yep. So we learn that a new god has stepped out of the shadows. <laughs> Carissa says, I haven't heard of Atolomens. And uh, the Inquisitor says, I hadn't either until an hour ago. Lawful neutral god of stopping mortals from exploiting physical or mathematical features of the world that permit destroying it. It's a very specific god. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's a good god to have lying around, but uh, quite the portent that suddenly he's made himself known. Yeah. I wonder. So he said that he hadn't heard of him till an hour ago. I wonder, mm. like, if his superiors did. Like, He's in the books that only the super, you know, clerics are allowed to read. Oh, okay. So maybe someone higher up had. Right. So I think that, you know, news of this guy being cleric, you know, got on the wire and however they communicate to each other, they're like, okay, who could it be? Well, of all the candidates, it might also be this one that we, you guys don't know about. Um, yeah. Because this seems right up his alley, given the debriefing I was just given on him, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, th- this, uh, whether this guy revealed himself or, you know, was... Uh, made more popular to talk about as a very plausible candidate, right? Uh, yeah. It's still pretty fun. Um, yeah. This is like the perfect god for Harry's uh, unbreakable vow. Absolutely. Harry would be a cleric of this god. Yeah, whether he wanted to be or not. Well, and the <laughs> yes. thing is, he, wanted, he would want to be, right? He would, yeah. From, But, you know, it, well, here's the thing. Of stopping mortals from exploiting physical or mathematical features of the world that permit destroying it. Mm. I mean... Nuclear power permits destroying the world. It also permits long-distance star travel. Does? Hmm. I guess it depends on what you mean by destroying the world. Because I think nuclear power could possibly wipe out the human race. But wouldn't necessarily destroy the world. I mean, it, it certainly wouldn't destroy the world. Well, I sure hope And it's... even wiping out the human race is an unlikely event. It'd probably just uh, knock us back to, I don't know, really low-level tech. I would still count that as destroy. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that depends on how you define destroying the world. Um, yeah. You know, like the world as we know it is kind of how I view that. Okay. I, I liked Dumbledore's phrasing in that letter was like, uh, you know, the the earth isn't a piece, it's the people or something like right. that, right? Yeah. Or more succinctly, Asgard's not a place, it's a people. Yeah. You know, the world isn't a place, it's a people. And if, we all, if we're all destroyed or thrown back into the Stone Age, you've just unwrecked it. I, I'm not sure if a god would necessarily agree. Which is where my hesitation comes in. Yeah, they seem to want souls for something. Labor yeah, or something, right? I don't know. We'll find and if, out. And if they I all hope. died in a nuclear explosion, they'd probably be put out about it. I, I doubt they care about the rock, like th- the sphere they all live on, right? That's a good point. Yeah, I wonder what it is they care about. Eh, who knows? They're, they're inscrutable so far. All right. Well, uh, I was briefly confused how they knew that he was not praying to a specific god, rather praying to the abstract concept of lawfulness. 
And then I realized, oh, they were probably reading his mind at the time that he was actually praying and got the levels dropped on him. So that would explain that. I think they haven't stopped reading it since they became aware of him. Yeah, I think so, too. I also like how when they had a break from reading his mind, those wizards are just making like ripping into him. (laughs) (laughs) That was fantastic. Um, Um, Yeah, this guy's like, oh, well, you you seem to understand him pretty well. And I don't know the guy's name, whatever her boss saying that he uh, thought that the books were instructively bad. And she says, what's bad about them? And he says, it's not how propaganda is written on Doth Alon, I think. There's a lot more attention to making that sort of thing look like on close reading, it would persuade a very neutral, very intelligent observer. His problem isn't, oh, it's because it's poorly written inference. It's like, no, that's just not how they do propaganda, which he assumes yeah. that every book is. Yes. Carissa, she she isn't sure what's safe to say about that sentence. She says, it's the kind of vision that you'd only have if you'd never encountered a world with free-willed humans in it which she's making the distinction between their world, which has free-willed humans, and Dothalan, which does not have free-willed humans, which is why they have books whose propaganda is something that would persuade a neutral, intelligent observer. What did we decide free will was, again, in her opinion? It's being subject to whims and vibes rather than just following an algorithm, right? Yeah, I don't think we settled it very well. I I think... We're going to have to get, they're going to have to have a long discussion about it, but is it because they don't work on alignment systems like we do? But if you've chosen the whatever chaotic evil or something path, where's the freedom in that either? You're actually more constrained because you can't give money to charity or at least not to a good charity. Um, yeah. So it it's not the alignment system that they have. I don't really know. Like people who work like he does. I think it's the further away you are to closely hewing to a decision theory algorithm, the more you are, quote unquote, free willed in her in her estimation. Oh, yeah, because you're you're allowed to make whatever decision you want, whereas Kelpin wants to make the best decision. Yeah, maybe that's free will not being just allowed, but being frankly encouraged to fuck up. Um, yeah. And he's like, I would rather do it right. And look at this guy with, with free will over here. <laughs> um, right. But yeah. I don't know. It trips me up a bit, I guess. Between that and like the the language of her prayer, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Is like, you know, I'm not free. I'm a servant of Asmodeus, and but he she he says that he's a servant. Well, maybe maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But maybe now that she's chosen, she's she's bound or something, right? Or at mm-hmm. least believes herself bound, which might be the same thing. But since he's but like he doesn't, he's like that's not how I work. Or Kelvin, yeah, rather, right? Yeah, Keltham Keltham doesn't even consider the option of binding yourself to someone like Asmodeus. He's just like. This is what the algorithm says is that decision theoretical correct thing to do. You're, you're just being dumb. I wonder if Avadar is going to take the points back. Like, you're not being a very good servant to me right now. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how fickle they're allowed to be with this sort of thing. But I mean, I feel like if you can just give them to him, you can probably just take them away. If I recall correctly, once you're decleric, you don't get re-cleric ever. Is that a is that a law of nature or just a you know the way things usually work? Because I think the way you, things usually work might be thrown out the windows. So yeah, that's a darn good point. Yeah, it seems like you could Maybe. become a cleric in another like to another god if you're like you know what? Hey, let's turn on this guy. I'll help you kill him. Right? Oh shit! Yeah, maybe. I, mean, I don't know if I was a god and someone to help me kill my enemy god, I'd give them cleric points. Def- definitely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I thought that they could pull it off, I liked uh, you. You pulled out her her thought on books as well. Oh. Uh, actually, just before that, uh, the the Inquisitor points out that there'd be no reason for a neutral, very intelligent observer to pick Cheliax, or for that matter, any other country, aside from whoever offered them the best deal. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I think it's cool that it didn't occur to, or maybe it was her that was saying this. I think it's neat that it didn't even occur to her that yes, exactly that. That is the whole point. You, you want to find the country that offers you the best deal. And uh, that is what countries should be in the, in the business of doing competing to give you the best deal. (laughs) They, uh, they have different, uh, different laws of order here. Exactly. But yeah, the thing that she said about books that you were just talking about is that the point of a book is to teach you what you're supposed to believe, not to convince someone who doesn't have any constraints on what they believe. I thought that was a thing to consider. It was fun seeing her take on it compared to his, you know, which is like, you know, this is garbage, you know, like, again, the, the biography of Ben Franklin, right? Someone wanted me to think he was a cool, smart dude, whether it was him or whoever wrote that book. Um, Yeah. And like... Yeah, am I supposed to think that, or just you know, the author thinks I should think that? Uh, I guess I'm not sure what "supposed to" means here in this context, but it's it's a different way of thinking about it, and I like it. It's you know, it's kind of fun. I, I guess I, it's a different kind of book, though. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say like I don't know, I don't know how true that is of Earth. It's probably pretty true though. Like it's certainly how social media works, and. Uh, and the books were the social media of the pre-internet. To your point about Abraham Lincoln, it's also very similar to that article that we talk about in the four patrons only section, where um, there, there was absolutely no effort to try to convince somebody. It's just like pure, really pure, this is what you're supposed to believe. And I'm, I'm trying to think like, is an encyclopedia like that? I guess so. Encyclopedias don't try to convince you that this is what an aardvark is. They're just like, hey this is what we say an aardvark is and you're supposed to believe them because they're the encyclopedia, right? Yeah. You know, and it, even like stuff that's more charged, you know, like all the fun books that came out in the early two thousands on, you know, atheism and stuff. Mm. A lot of those are just preaching to the choir and, you know, arming muggles with the good arguments. Right. Yeah. Um, or even like, you know, so like an encyclopedia doesn't say, you know, uh, why we believe play tectonics is, you know, the actual order of why, what makes the continents and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you read Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything, it explains how we learned that, but he doesn't explain in Keltham sufficient detail how he knows that. Yeah. Um, it, the whole point of that book, it's fun if you haven't heard of it, is uh, basically it's like, wait, how do we know, you know that the center of the earth is you know, molten iron? Like, that's insane. Oh. How could we possibly know stuff like that? And so it's not, it's not just that question, but it's, it's questions like that. You know, the stuff that we all know. But yeah. it's questions of like it digs into how how scientists learn that over history. Um, That's really neat. But the thing is, it wouldn't pass the Keltham sniff test because all I'm ta- all I'm doing is taking his word for it. Mm, but at least it's a step up from just telling you this is the way it is. Yes, at least yeah, it's definitely that. And I, I think it's yeah, I mean I I enjoyed it, but I I don't know if it's still the kind of book that you'd find in a in a Dothalon bookshop. Yeah, but yeah, I like it. It's uh, yeah. I, her, her take, you know, I wonder how much of the stuff they're going to have time to dig into and how much they're going to just run past and do more plot stuff. But, mm. uh, she, the guy's explaining to, uh, uh, Carissa about, you know, the, the Haramites and, mm-hmm. or Haramites. Haramites, Haramites yeah. sounds like a inf- infestation of something. Um, <laughs> Keltham, uh, quote, he, or the guy says he assumes they're getting paid as well. I think just on general principle that any society would obviously, generously compensate people for doing compensate people for doing valuable things. 
and <laughs> with your ex- three question marks. And I'm like, yeah. well, when you put it that way, we really do sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> when you added those two extra question marks. <laughs> well, of course I'd pay them for doing valuable things. Like, yeah. it, it's, I can't, I mean, it's so funny actually that I, it seems like he might be, being fun- might be being funny, but he's totally not given just how serious he is in the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, you do it because it's the right thing to do or, you know, because mm-hmm. you're told to, which makes it mm-hmm. the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. Again, your compensation is being not tortured. Yeah. Count yourself lucky. Um, and this is this is one of those cool moments when actually their culture you know, looks like the alien one to us, despite the fact that normally their culture is the one that's closest to Earth's. Well, but ours ours does that all the time, right? You know, if we stop to help the kid, as Keltham did, but wanted to get paid for it, you know, he's the asshole, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, no, the, he's describing Earth here, too. Yeah. This is exactly but, how we do stuff. You know, we can pay to like, do our jobs, but if I help you move and you try to pay me, we're both insulted, right? Yes. But if you were a teen girl at a college recruited to go try to spy seduce someone, you would assume that girl was getting paid? Yes? Maybe? I don't know. Probably not if you're in Russia. I get the feeling it's more like, you know, this more like Soviet Russia than Berkeley. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So her answer to like his... Are you a heretic? You seem to be understanding him really well, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved her answer. She says, you're worried that he's infectious. This operation mm-hmm. relies on the loyalty of the people close to him, but they also need to understand him. And you're worried that we'll become in the in, in modeling him closely enough to know how to respond. will entertain heresy. Yes. And what a good answer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know if he's convinced because he seems like a true believer of a different flavor, but like mm-hmm. that, that seems like that should be enough to convince anybody. And it's like, look, man, you paid me to go be a spy in Russia. If I can't sound like a good communist, I'm going to get killed. Yeah. So I, I think that she gave a, an awesome answer. And uh, I uh, especially liked how she tried to, in the next line, say, no, I think the girls, they, they probably will need some coaching, but I think they'll be okay. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, I was talking about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I also like that. I mean, she, she's worried that, you know, he's infectious. And I think he definitely is. Definitely. You know, the second people see him start winning all over the place, they're going to wonder how they can get in on that, right? Mm-hmm. Plus, he's not he's not going to pass up an opportunity to spread the good algorithm. Yeah. But also, like, this actually is a legit concern. It, it is not that uncommon for spies to switch over or for people to go native, um, quote unquote, and uh, join the side that they were originally sent to infiltrate because they got close to the people in that society. Yeah. And then they realized, oh, yeah, they don't all, you know, have forked tongues and tails and you know, all these demonic properties you assigned. They're people who, you know, like ice cream and love their kids just like everybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys really oversold the heretic stuff and uh, they're comparatively superhuman. So, or, or rather, they're they're comparatively very human. And yeah. uh, I find that, you know, I, w- I was ready to face monsters. So for someone who really believes that heresy is a disease that infects the mind and corrupts the souls of people, that just looks like, yes, he's infectious. I'm worried about you being infected. It's a good thing we know how to burn out the infections. Yep. Just with a uh, good old, I'm, I'm sure actually I was going to say with the good old fashioned, uh, you know, hot iron, but I'm sure they've got cool torture spells. So yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried. Well, let's uh, either get more worried or less worried when we read the next section. The next section. We'll link to a Google drive folder with a bunch of HTML files in it that I'm really hoping my phone can actually just pick up and read. I don't know what it'll do if I click an HTML file, but. Only one way to find out. That's true. All right. So for next week, 
The target phrase to stop at for section four is, if you go looking for enough tiny signs like that, you will eventually find some. And also, if you are going to the Google Drive where we have these individual readings, it will be I Miss Yud week four. <laughs> awesome. That sounds great. Steven, it was super fun. People can continue to support us on the Patreon if they like. I'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks for uh, listening. And Enos, thanks again for reinvigorating my uh, enjoyment of the story. I need to just... I, I even tried modeling you when I was reading this. And I'm like, man, I just don't get what the hell's going on here. But I am getting it better now. I think, I'm better, I think I'll be better equipped the next time he's coming off like a, like a lunatic earthling. I'll be like, oh, wait, no. From his point of view, of course, that makes perfect sense. Huzzah! Yeah. The culture clash is going to be actually really funny. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't know what in the ass I be doing. So. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> Catch you next time. All right. Bye.